This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program to walk you through the latest, greatest research information, stuff that's out there that uh, you need to know in order to make it through cr- this uh, crazy thing we call life. But you said make it through Christmas. If we could make it through Christmas, <laughs> if we could make it goals. through the next 20 days, what is it we down to, 19 days yet? Are we in tw- the teens? No, I think it's 21 days today. Blasted! Yeah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And the angels cheered. That is... It's getting ugly. In uh, and what I thought was, I thought it was just Trump, but what I think we're going to see today is everybody is swinging low. Everybody is yeah. getting ugly. Elizabeth Warren's throwing out punches now. I mean, where did she come from? Yeah, she was busy. She was, and uh, she's and, got uh, some free time now. Well, so she's and now hit back on Trump. All the progressives now are throwing their hat in for Hillary now that she's like a ninety-three percent bet. They're all like, ah, yeah, we love her. Was it Charles Krauthammer? Yeah, Krauthammer, He's, he's yeah. the guy on Fox News. Mm-hmm. He said that at this point, Donald Trump needs an act of God or an act of Putin to win. <laughs> so he needs they, Hillary so to you know, some They're not sort of, in the same league. Hillary has some two. sort of health issue or yeah. some big WikiLeaks revelation beyond right. what we've been getting day to day. But the crazy thing about WikiLeaks revelations, there's, there's like a release every day. I think they're up to WikiLeaks 10. Right. Ten releases, like so that's a, one a day, ten days, and yet Trump still makes more noise than these WikiLeaks, which some of them are pretty a quid pro quo that's going on. Have you heard about this whole one? Yeah, it depends on how you look at it. Some yeah. people don't well, see it that big a deal. Other people well, see it as you know hair on fire. Right. Well, I mean it's it's an art. It's a letter written by the chief of staff of Hillary Clinton or chief of his her campaign talking about. The State Department and the FBI negotiating a quid pro quo to get to reclassify reclassify some of Hillary's emails, and it was shot down. It's a pretty big deal. Well, yeah, but don't you ask the question to see if it's a possibility? No, you don't quid even ask the question. Quid pro quos are illegal, aren't they? If they're followed through on, we, you re, you reformat a clearance. A, what's it called? A uh, a classification, and we. We'll get more FBI agents in another country. I mean, that's we'll give you more. F- I mean, that's crazy, but doesn't matter because Donald Trump's talking about everything else. And so, how do you beat Donald Trump? Well, you just have to shut him up. And if how's he that? Would just, if he would just keep his mouth quiet, which, he won't. But now he's he's actually now even suggesting the whole thing's rigged, and when he loses, basically, it's because it's rigged. So anybody that's already talking about their loss? He was dropping the rigged line a couple, a couple months ago. Oh, yeah, but now you know, I think now, now, now he's he like knows. intensified. Yeah. And yeah, he's bringing up more and more so that it's, it's there and the, the message is already laid out for when wow. the inevitable happens. And luckily uh, the White House is not staying out of this. They are commenting on well, uh, his sniffling. That was interesting. It's just we can get into that in a minute. Low blow, low blow. We'll get to all that stuff. Uh, but we're also going to be talking about cybersecurity. I mean, if we hear about WikiLeaks with a new release of uh, of information 
taken, stolen, hacked. Uh, We've heard about the DNC hacks. We've heard about Hillary Clinton's email hacks. All of that now, we need more cybersecurity. So we will be talking with a professor from NYU that is doing the best he can to to actually create a stronger cyber-secure world. And we'll hear about a, a program he has. So if you have a child in college and they're kind of smart and they're into computers or engineering, this may be their field. It's kind of a cool idea. We'll get to that fun, plus other information, some of which you might even need. But first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen and the headlines. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? Most Americans believe that the women who have accused Donald Trump of sexual misconduct are credible, a new poll by a university has found. A whole 62% of voters believe that the allegations of Trump's unwanted sexual comments or groping are credible, with 22% saying the accusations were definitely true and 40% saying they are probably true. 58% of voters said they were not surprised by the content of a recently released tape. Clinton leads with likely voters at 50% to Trump's 38% per the same nationwide poll. Newly released FBI 302 forms summarizing the Hillary Clinton email investigation reveal the State Department Undersecretary of State attempted to persuade the FBI to change certain emails in Clinton's private email server from classified to unclassified in the middle of the investigation into the former Secretary of State's email usage. The 302 form further reveals that Kennedy later asked again if the FBI could see their way to making the email unclassified. The FBI said in a statement that no quid pro quo took place and that the email in question remained classified at secret level, the Washington Examiner reports. Billy Bush and NBC have reportedly reached a settlement on his contract with the network, officially ending his time at Today after appearing in a 2005 tape in which Donald Trump discussed groping women. Bush joined the show in August, signing a three-year deal that would earn him $3.5 million every year. He was previously suspended from the show when the revelation first was first reported. In a note to the staff, Today Show chief Noah Oppenheim said Bush would be leaving the show effective today and wished the valued colleague and longtime member of the NBC family success as he goes forward. And finally... Yes. Uh, a giant catapult at New Hampshire's extreme Chunkin Pumpkin destruction event was used to fling a 1,300-pound pumpkin, a car, and a piano. Whoa. The weekend event at the New Hampshire Motor Speedway saw a variety of catapults, cannons, and other pieces of weaponry used to destroy pumpkins in a spectacular fashion. Hmm. A giant catapult called the Yankee Siege proved to be the star of attraction of Extreme Chunkin, with its operators when it used to fling a car, piano, a boat, and a 1,300-pound pumpkin, believed to be the record for the heaviest pumpkin toss at a pumpkin chunkin event. That You know what is that? When I uh, went back to my high school reunion, they called me a chunkin. Did they? Yeah. Did they call you a jam bomber too? Mm-hmm. That's yeah, mean. they did. That's mean. Oh, that's awful. But we don't need to talk about that. Right. Okay. It's kind of personal. Yeah. They also called me loin boy. I'll explain that later. I thought that was lion boy. No, it's supposed to be lion. Just oh. spelled it wrong. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Cool. <sighs> Thanks for bringing that up, Sadie. Chunkin. I want to do – that sounds like a fun – so it's just a big catapult, right? And you just put your neighbor's car in it. Yeah. No problem. Then you just throw that bad boy. Hmm. Except when they say they're throwing a car, it's like a subcompact. Well, sure. It's not like it's a huge. It's like your neighbor's. It's not like a huge college Buick. kid's car. Just throw a Buick. <laughs> yeah, you'll never throw a Buick. No. Um, wow. Okay. So where to begin? The twenty-one days, whatever the number is. 
I swear it's less than 21. Let me see if I can verify. I remember. But continue. But there's just so much to carry on. And the reality is Donald is coming on nutted. He, he's, he's now talking about how even Mitt Romney should have won. 21 days. But the, it's, it's all against Mitt Romney. It was, I mean, the elections were rigged. Obama shouldn't have won, blah, 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 all that. Okay. Now, again, whatever your political, whatever your political beliefs are, you can't just continually question the system, right? The rigging of, he's even saying, now check your, check your election machines. When your election machine, make sure it casts your vote appropriately. If anyone makes fun of you, if anybody taunts you, if anybody creates problems for you, make sure you report it. The Boston Globe over the weekend had an interview with a gentleman that said he was going to go and do, he called it extreme profiling. He was going to volunteer to go to his local precinct and observe. Now, the problem is it's kind of illegal mm-hmm. to do that unless it's going through some official channel because it turns into voter intimidation. Right. And the man said, he goes, um, basically, he starts naming all these groups that he's going to watch for. Which, if you read it, it was like, if you're not white, he's going to stand there and watch you and make sure you're doing oh, what you're boy. supposed to be doing at the voter precinct. That turns into he goes. I'm going to make them nervous. Is right. what he said. And it just the one person, one interview. Mm-hmm. But if you're sending people to the polls to observe, it just turns into voter intimidation, and that's why this is kind of well, concerning for a lot of people. As Trump continues to talk about this, and it seems like more and more people. Yeah. So he's trying to probably turn down the turnout, right? That's what it's, that, that, that's if, the if he plan. can turn off the turnout and if he can so frustrate and exhaust everybody, then no one would want to show up at the polls and then he'll win. <sighs> OK, so that's that's kind of low, many would say. But then you think uh, as Republican, as Democrats, as Hillary has been using Mrs. Obama's line, when they go low, we go high. Mm-hmm. Here's an example of Elizabeth um, Warren going high. Donald Trump, the big, brave Donald Trump, is too chicken to release his tax returns. <laughs> I mean, Elizabeth Warren could be running for president in three, in four years, five years, six years, well, probably eight years. Right. Four years, depending on how Hillary's health holds right. up. Um, that's going high or low? I don't know if she's ever said that she does either. I think she just goes after Trump. Right. She she just imitated a chicken. Yes. She's taunting the Don. Uh, this is what Elizabeth Warren, this is why Trump makes her angry. I never thought I would see a nominee who would attack his victims who came forward saying they were too ugly to have been the objects of his assault. You know, I want to say this. Some people say it makes them sick to hear Donald Trump talk like that. Well, not me. Donald Trump's words don't make me sick anymore. They make me furious. She's angry. (laughs) Yeah, she really got behind that. Now that, see, that's different than calling him a chicken. Yes. Right? It's a different level of of critique, yes. And that actually seems... (laughs) Like a healthier debate, even though she seemed a little angry there. She the enjoys end. being one person that Trump seems to have a – he can't really combat well. 
she comes at him, she'll hit him with things, and he tries to respond, and it's not quite the same way as yeah. when he's going after Jeb Bush or any of these others that he's he's hit back yeah. on. And so she tries to uh, to come really hard when she's doing her critique on him, and uh, she's hoping for a response. So I think that's what she's aiming for with us. When you go low, Donald, we go high. Here is the White House going high. On Saturday, Donald Trump suggested that presidential candidates should uh, have to take a drug test. White House yeah. response? Well, so you're telling me that the candidate who snorted his way through the first two debates is accusing the other candidate of taking drugs? It's a curious development in the campaign. That's your response? That's my response. Michelle. Are you saying just now that you think that the sniffling or snorting, as you described it, might have been related to... Not at all. Okay. So what were you saying? What were you trying to get across when you said that? I'm just trying to have a little fun. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are so serious today. You heard the gasps in the crowd. So. Yeah. yeah. I was expecting more chuckles. It's probably my flawed delivery. Yeah. As the spokesperson for the White House. For the White House. Probably don't joke. When you go low, we go high. This is the problem is Donald's bringing everyone down, everyone would, I guess, is saying. But Donald's saying you're bringing us down. Yeah. Because you're driving our country into the ground. There you go. Hmm. You know who's having a lot of fun, though, is uh, Stephen Colbert. He's he had a little interview last night with the president, a little practice job interview. Okay, we're here to find out what you are going to do for a living. Okay, all right, let's try it. Fifty-five, tough time to start over for a man. Okay, I don't see any promotions for the last eight years. That's not always good. Can you explain that? Honestly, there wasn't a lot of room for advancement in my last job. The the only one with a more powerful position was my wife. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell me why you're leaving. You say you're not being terminated, but uh, it sounds like you can't stay. Is that true? Uh, well, I'm leaving because it's required by the 22nd Amendment of the United States Constitution. Okay, a little tip. When you say staying at your job would be unconstitutional, what employers hear is that you stole office supplies. <laughs> okay, so I'd this over the rest of that, okay? Okay. And uh, it doesn't say here, where were you born? Is this the longest form of this resume available? Well, we move on. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know, wouldn't it be great to be President Obama? Like, you're done. You did a good job, you know. You feel you're done. It's senior year. You're done. You're just coasting to the end. (sighs) You get to go make some money, take a year off. Maybe deal with some redistricting. Yeah. That's his plan is to go in the – there's a committee that's forming where he's going to uh, – through the Democratic parties in different states and help to deal with redistricting issues. Why? I don't know. He's what bored. a horrible job that would be. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. It's his life. Um, anyway, so what do you do? Donald Trump – Quit blaming Trump. Everyone's playing the dirty game now. I mean, it's just now it's everyone against Donald. Yes. Donald kind of – everyone else is just being quiet about him, right? You don't hear anyone else in the GOP talking, do you? Uh, outside of his surrogates? Yeah. No. I mean, everyone else is fighting for their life. McCain's yeah. fighting for his life. Which is funny because you have like Paul Ryan who has yet to unendorse – yeah, right. He's endorsing, but he won't talk about him. But, Mitch yeah. McConnell, still endorsing, refuses to talk to the media. In the Capitol, when the media comes to him, if they ask about Trump, he ends whatever he's doing and walks away. 
He will not answer any questions about Donald Trump. Walk away. Walk he, away. He is the majority leader in the Senate. He will not, not talk to him. Oh, my heavens. What's happening? What's happening in this crazy world? Uh, interesting, too. Um, when you think about it, I don't know if you heard this, but Julian Assange had his power turned off at the embassy. Not his power, his Wi-Fi turned off at the embassy where he's basically stuck for the rest of his life. Now he doesn't have Wi-Fi. So how can the guy that's over WikiLeaks leak? You can't leak without the Y in the wiki. He needs the Wi-Fi. Hillary Clinton, man. She's got tentacles reaching all over the world, shutting down the Wi-Fi. That's the allegation. Anyway, the drama continues. And we will walk you through it one day at a time. We will take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking about cybersecurity, the future of cybersecurity. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Do any of these stories sound familiar? eBay, uh, 145 million people whose information had been hacked uh, on eBay. MySpace, 164 million people. 10 million people from Sony. Yahoo, five, I think, uh, five or 50 million people. Woo! Well, in 2008, Cybersecurity Awareness Week, also called Seesaw, was founded with the goal to draw engineering students into cybersecurity. This year, it's the 13th annual conference with over 20,000 students from around the world who will participate in Seesaw and is the largest student-ran cybersecurity event in the world. The cybersecurity industry will need about 1.5 million workers that, um, uh, that need to be qualified for the jobs by the year 2020. And the problem is... They don't necessarily have that many coming down the line. So joining us to talk about the, the, the problem of trying to um, teach and instruct the next generation of cybersecurity cyber professionals is the founder of Seesaw and professor of computer science and engineering at New York University, Nasser Memon. Thank you so much for being with us, Professor. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. What a great... Um, Thing I think you've put together here. So, so you have students from all over the world that then gather and they have competitions against each other to to uh, to test each other's skills in cybersecurity. Is that the idea? Yeah, sort of. So, what we do is the competitions are held in like two uh, phases. Uh, the first phase is online, where uh, students from all around the world can easily compete. Uh, there are no geographical boundaries there. Uh, and then what we do is that we pick the top 10 teams in the first phase uh, from North America and bring them to New York for our finals. We pick the top 10 team from India, and we this year we uh, sort of they go to uh, uh, IIT Kanpur, uh, which is the top sort of technical uh, university in India. They go there for the finals, and for. The, for the MENA region, the Middle East and North Africa region, they go to NYU Abu Dhabi's uh, campus uh, uh, and for the finals. So, uh, and 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 so, the yeah. So that that's what happens. So then, what happens? Do they as there as how do they compete? What does a competition look like um, in these different phases? 
So there are different competitions. One is a capture the flag competition, which they get uh, challenges. Uh, quite often it's an application that might have a vulnerability and they have to uh, find the vulnerability and uh, reach a flag of some sort. Uh, so that's one of the uh, competitions. The, another competition is a high school forensics challenge where they're given uh, a murder mystery and they have to find evidence, find the clues, find out what happened and uh, submit uh, uh, their, their results, what, what they found. Uh, another competition is uh, uh, Best Research Paper Award. So here they simply present the research they've done in the last 12 months or so uh, to a panel of judges and the judges from industry and the judges pick the winners. Uh, then there is a Hack the Chip competition where, which is more hardware focused and they are, uh, they are required to uh, submit uh, code or techniques that can uh, find uh, embed a vulnerability in, in, in a chip hmm. and, uh, and cause problems. <laughs> now, it's in a way, it, 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 this isn't going away, right? We, we hear about the Russian hacks. We hear about the Chinese hacking. We, we, I'm on a website right now where you can just see hundreds of examples with hundreds of millions up to people whose data and information have been hacked. In the end, are we... I guess this is how you're you're trying to get more and more professionals trained and up to speed in order to to fight against those that are that are trying to do ill. Right. So, and it's a, it's a global problem, right? Right. So I think uh, it's not technology that's going to solve the cybersecurity problem. We do need technology, of course, uh, but it's also people. Uh, we need uh, talented people who are first uh, building secure systems. So when we build something from scratch, uh, we do it uh, better than what we've been doing so far, understanding the global threats that these systems could face. Uh, then while the systems are deployed and used, we need, cons- uh, again, cybersecurity professionals uh, monitoring it and, uh, and uh, because it's hard to anticipate uh, what uh, an adversary would do. So we, we need uh, cybersecurity professionals who are constantly monitoring, auditing, uh, understanding what's going on so they can uh, find the flaws and, and, uh, or find the bad guys when they come in before they can do any, any damage. Hmm. Uh, so it's a very, I, I, I believe it's a very people-intensive uh, uh, process. Uh, and somehow a lot of our focus has been on creating some magical technology that will protect, protect all of us. Uh, but when a, CIO, when a CIO asks me where should we invest in, in security, I tell them in people. We need uh, highly skilled and well-trained uh, people to uh, make ourselves secure. And one of the things I read in your article was about one of the ways to get people up to speed on cyber technology is they have to be hanging out with other people and learning from each other. Right, because Cybersecurity is a discipline where there's an adversary involved. Yeah. And it's very hard to anticipate what and what the adversary will do. So it's hard to train them in the classroom for that. Uh, so just like in, in athletics or in, in, uh, in military, uh, the way they train soldiers or the way athletes train is by actually playing against each other. Right? Mm. And that's when you start gaining the skills and, and uh, gaining the skills that allow you to 
uh, watch the adversary, anticipate, react, and and uh, so so I think games are very important uh, for building cybersecurity skills. Yeah, like I guess that's your point, right? That it takes practice, it takes uh, ingenuity, it takes human to human interaction. This isn't just something you're going to install on your system and then lock everything up tight because right. humans can go figure out how to hack that. Right, because, uh, I mean, we, we are very good at building uh, reliable systems. I mean, if you look at the air transportation system, it's amazing. Uh, the chances of uh, an air, uh, uh, you getting hurt in, a, in an accident uh, on an airplane is lower than uh, you slipping in the bathtub and, and uh, falling in, and breaking your leg or something. Mm. So we, we know how to build reliable systems, but uh, we still don't know how to build secure systems because it is hard to anticipate what an adversary would do, right? So if you look at this very same, very reliable uh, transportation system we built, uh, there was a very flimsy door between the passengers and the cockpit that allowed the perpetrators of 9-11 right. the heinous acts that they did, right? And in hindsight, you say, okay, we need a better fortified door. Uh, in, the, in hindsight, that's obvious, but uh, anticipating that, that up front uh, is not that obvious. And then when we fortified the door, then there was a pilot who ran the airplane in, in a, into a mountain. Right. And the passengers couldn't uh, prevent that. So. Yeah. So it's, hum- it's human, and then it's, yeah, and then it's kind of figuring out the next hurdle and then overcoming it. And one of the things you point out a lot is the adversarial nature of this battle. That it's it really is it's it's strategy, and it's it's competition. It's war. It's a battle. It's a battle, yeah. And uh, one uh, because in, in in society there are always bad actors. Right? Yeah, there are people who will uh, perform actions for their personal benefit, but that harms society at at large. And we have ways of dealing with that. We have a justice system. We have uh, a reputation system. We have uh, morals that teach people how to uh, to, to do the right thing. Uh, but in cyberspace, all those sort of really have not worked. Or mm. It's difficult to make them work. Yeah. So. Are we prepared for the future? Is there um, – what? how big of a gap – is there between the amount of cybersecurity experts we need and the amount we have? So it's huge. I, I know from uh, personal experience, uh, the the calls I get from CIOs and other hiring managers saying, hey, do you have someone? Uh, we're looking to hire someone in cybersecurity. So, uh, but data says that we would need about one cybersecurity engineer for every 10 uh, IT professionals. So, because everybody needs cybersecurity. It's no longer simply the firms that produce that technology, but banks need it, pharmaceutical companies need it. Uh, any, anyone connected to the Internet and has a sizable presence needs cybersecurity engineers. Right. And uh, so by that formula, if you need a million and a half in the next uh, five to ten years, uh, we're probably graduating just a few thousand every year. Right. So, so the gap is is really large and growing. Well, um, let's do this. Let's take a break and come back. I'd love to have you, Nasir, explain and show us or share with us what what we need, like what makes up a great cybersecurity 
expert as far as the credentials, the experience. I mean, I'm thinking of my kids. You know, is being a video gamer enough? We'll get to that more uh, on this interesting topic of uh, cybersecurity and our future, folks. Nasir Memon will continue with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer and hopefully uh, more cyber secure. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, cybersecurity is a growing field and soon will dominate the industry. And joining us on the line is Nasir Memon. He is a professor of computer science and engineering at New York University. He also is the founder of Seesaw. Seesaw is Cybersecurity Awareness Week, where he brings in a lot of, uh, of uh, I guess, college-age students, engineering students, and they have a huge annual conference. Over 20,000 students from around the world participate, and then they actually compete against each other and go head-to-head to try to capture the flag and and <laughs> cross-infect each other in a way to uh, to learn how to maintain cybersecurity. Nasir, we appreciate so much you being with us. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This um, Are we secure? I mean, as I look over this website, just seeing how many times people have been hacked or just, you know, configuration errors inside of the computer, you know, server problems and stolen computers, stolen media. It's this is this is something that uh, I think a lot of us we know it happens, but it's it's I don't feel like we I sense enough fear from people for what could happen here. So, I mean, we can never be 100% secure, right? There's no such thing as uh, complete security. There's always some risk that we carry. uh, And the problem is we we lack an understanding of that uh, risk. Uh, As new technology is created at a phenomenal rate, uh, and, uh, and of course this new technology comes with benefits, it improves our way of life, but it also comes with risks. And we don't understand it. We don't understand the vulnerabilities that exist within it. And uh, it's unfortunate that uh, we have not been able to build secure systems Mm. so far. And uh, I don't know what will, what will, what needs to happen (laughs) for us to get there. Yeah. One thing I do know is that we we do we do need a lot of very smart people thinking about this problem, and we also need a broad awareness uh, on the part of everybody about the risks that they face. Uh, yeah, I mean we hear it we we hear it in this political cycle a lot. Um, it also seems like a really great job opportunity for a lot of people. Um, so so who would make a great cybersecurity professional? What's their background? What's their education need to be? And, and how do they get involved? So, so I think there's no single description. There are different types of people. Uh, I'll, I'll go through some. Uh, but I think one thing common to them is this notion of a security mindset. So a security mindset is basically this, this ability to look at a system and find the trust relationships. 
So in a system, we kind of sometimes when we're designing it, we, we end up trusting something. The input or, or a particular person will act in a particular way or something will happen. And, and th that trust assumptions that we make are precisely the assumptions that the attackers violate mm. when they get in. And that's, those are the flaws in the design. So, for example, and it's, very not, it's not very natural to think of it. So, for example, uh, when you go to a, to a restaurant and you give the car to a valet, you're essentially giving the valet the ability to drive to your home because there's a GPS there with the home button there. Uh, so, basically, the, the valet can simply take the car and drive to your home. There is a garage door opener there, which the valet can use to get into your home and take whatever he or she wants. Hmm. We, but we don't think about it that way. We, we assume we have the assumption that the valet will not do that. Society doesn't work that way. People don't work that way. And everything will be fine. Uh, but when you're talking about large, complicated uh, systems, such trust assumptions are the ones that are difficult to spot mm. uh, and difficult to sort of detect and uh, to, to prevent uh, uh, against, right? So, so you need the security mindset kind of a thing where a person who's constantly thinking about what can go wrong, right? And, uh, and so it sounds like you have to almost be adversarial in a way, uh -huh. right? Yeah. Like, like be willing to, to, to compete, to take people yeah. on. Right. So what if that doesn't happen? Uh, what if I cannot trust the valley? What if I, whatever. So, so you have to keep sort of asking yourself these questions to understand the security mm. of the system. The second kind of person, so the one kind of, so, so that's, I think, common to everybody. One kind of person you need uh, is someone who understands sort of deep, low-level knowledge about the bits and bytes uh, in a computer system. Uh, typically, we teach people at a very high level uh, and to to design systems to, to put applications together, but quite often they're all relying on services which are further down, and and those uh, we tend to uh, take for granted. But many many times the problems are there. So be able be able to uh, understand at a very low level what's happening uh, in a system uh, is is important. Uh, I think for that they need curiosity and patience because. Uh, Sometimes when you come up against a malware and you want to understand what it does, uh, all you have is what they call a binary dump, or dump a sequence of ones and zeros. Mm. And to be able to figure that out and exactly what it's doing and how you could uh, sort of disable it in some sense uh, is, is difficult. So that it needs deep. So there is one type of people who need deep technical knowledge. But then... As I said before, security is not, you, you cannot get 100% security. So you're not, you need people who understand what is important to the business. So you need people, you need cybersecurity professionals who understand business, who understand law, who understand policy, and are able to make cybersecurity decision, decisions uh, in the context of these broader themes as well. Uh, as to what is important for your business to protect, uh, what are the laws that employs, what kind of policies you need to put in place uh, to create a safe environment. And so you need people who can uh, understand that. And sometimes you need people who can understand all this along with technology as well. So uh, at NYU, we have students in, of course, computer science and electrical engineering who look at the deep technical stuff. But then you also have students from the Stern Business School, the NYU Law School, mm. the Stanford School of Policy, and we all sit together and discuss 
problems and they learn from each other because I believe that cybersecurity is more than simply technology. Uh, understanding the other aspects are important as well. Yeah. Is um, are are the elementary schools, are our high schools, are they doing a, an effective job of preparing these type of mindsets, these these skill sets uh, to get people into college to do cybersecurity? Uh, uh, well, I wouldn't want to blame them by saying they're not effective, but I think they don't even, they're not aware and they're not even trying. We don't have the support structure in place to enable them to make that happen. Uh, I have been running camps for high school teachers for last few years so they can bring cybersecurity to the classroom. I have been running camps for high school women so they understand uh, cybersecurity. But uh, there needs to be also effort uh, that needs to take place at uh, the middle school level. So the problem is that uh, we're not even teaching computer science in our schools, right? Uh, President Obama has started the initiative Computer Science for All, uh, and even that is, seems to be difficult to implement. Uh, cybersecurity gets a lower priority compared to computer science, and we're not making good progress. Like, yeah. How do we rank as a country in cybersecurity? Are we more secure than other countries? Are we less secure? I think everybody has uh, using the same system. So I think everybody has the same vulnerabilities. It's just that the attractive targets are here. Uh, and uh, as they say, they say the, the bad guys go where the money is. Right. Uh, so we tend to get at, attacked more. Uh, in terms of capabilities, I don't have a sort of a direct estimate, but I think we should be among the best, right? The, the Americans, the Russians, the Chinese, the, the uh, Israelis, and the uh, United Kingdom, I think these four or five countries are, are better at cybersecurity than, than the others. But then we get attacked a lot because, uh, for various reasons, including, I guess, the fact that this is where the money is. Is we hear a lot about Russia lately, <laughs> and um, and I guess is that just because Russia's uh, hitting these these higher these higher targets, the Clinton Foundation and all of the Clinton emails and stuff, or or are they just more advanced in this, or are, are the are are the Americans you know equal to the Russians in this? I would think that uh, the Americans would be equal or even better. Uh, I think uh, it's simply, first of all, it's very hard to make attributions, but uh, right. if somebody at the government level is saying it's Russians, then I, I would tend to believe them that uh, because they, they don't say these things casually, I hope. Uh, so if that's the case, then I think it's just a decision someone has made at some point uh, that this should happen, and I don't know who that could be for whatever ideological reasons or political reasons or, or things of that sort. Uh, and also... There is also this issue of uh, the criminal justice system, right? So in the sense that uh, what what kind of criminal justice system is there in Russia and what does it think about mm. crimes that take place in the U.S.? Are uh, Russian actors uh, perpetrating crimes in the U.S. and, and how they go after them? Uh, perhaps there are issues there as well that, that lead to, to the problems, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Does um, as just as we wrap up, what do you think we should do, Nasir? As just what can I do to maintain my own cybersecurity, and um, and what can I do to kind of educate my children to be more secure when it comes to you know 
the possibility of cyber attack. So understand that uh, the information that you are you have uh, in any digital form, uh, you need to be careful about and think about who has it and how can people access it, and uh, understand that there is a possibility that it could get stolen, and what would you do in that regard? Uh, what you normally do is the same, the general hygiene stuff, right? For health, they say wash your hands. So the same things here. Keep your computers updated. Update every single sort of, make sure you install your updates as soon as possible. Uh, also, uh, don't go to strange websites and uh, don't open random attachments. Mm. And so these are standard things we've been we've been telling people for a yeah. long time. Yeah. But uh, it's it's harder to do. Uh, and uh, but I think over time, these things will will improve. And there's certain things that. I think it's not just you and me, but it's uh, the the companies that are building systems with vulnerabilities in them uh, need to do a better job as well. You bet. You bet. Well, Nasir, thank you so much for your great work and for really your work on the Cyber Security Awareness Week. I think that's a great prog- uh, program you've started there, and I wish you the best of luck and all of your students. Man, think about how much you are being protected by some college student that just went and played some of Nasser's games and uh, in having cyber attacks on each other. Really, you're pretty, as I've been looking over the list, it's amazing how few companies really have been attacked. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds that have been attacked with millions and millions of names lost, except there's thousands and thousands of companies that haven't been. So a lot of companies are doing things right. We'll take a break. We'll be back. Wrap up hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, helping you live a healthier, happier life. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, when you think about it, it really... It's amazing how unsafe we are, and yet we're all so okay with it. And simultaneously, as I was saying earlier, we are also fairly safe. A lot of very large organizations aren't on these lists of uh, of groups that have been hacked yet. And I don't know if they're just that secure or if people haven't gotten around to it. But banks, we were looking at banks, and, and there's a great website, informationisbeautiful.net, where you can go in and find out what organizations have uh, have been hacked. And honestly, it's probably time, no matter what, to just go do some maintenance on your site and go change your passwords. Go re uh, renew your passwords and, and update them. And you know what? Get really crazy. Do a mix of uh, alphanumeric. You know, get crazy. Put some letters and some numbers in there and maybe really go out on a limb. You know, do do numbers other than one, two, three, four. I'm just saying. Hey, uh, police say uh, challenge accepted to a Tampa man who said, catch me if you can in his Facebook post. 24-year-old Tampa man wanted on numerous criminal charges was in jail Wednesday after making a Facebook post daring investigators to find him. The Tampa Police Department said, okay. Cameron Cox was wanted on charges of dealing in stolen property, two counts of giving false information on a pawnbroker form, three counts of burglary, grand theft, and petty theft, apparently knowing that the police were looking for him. So uh, 
so far unsuccessfully, Cox pulled out all the stops, made a post on his public Facebook page. He posted the cover photo for the Tom Hanks, Leonardo DiCaprio movie, Catch Me If You Can, with the caption, might as well have some fun with this, LOL. Challenge accepted, the Tampa police said, and uh, officers tracked down and arrested Cox at a South Manhattan Avenue McDonald's on September 20th, two weeks after he made his Facebook post. Taunting the police is never a good idea. When you are a criminal and and a post of a photo, catch me if you can. We will do that, folks. We're going to get you. So watch out if you're going to taunt the police department. eh, Maybe not such a good idea, you know. <sighs> What's going on with these people? What's going on with these people? By the way, I failed to mention it at the top of the hour. Today is Chocolate Cupcake Day. This is the day we've all been waiting for. It's a great song. This is the Cuppy Cake song sung by Jeff Simpson. He's got such a great voice. That's a great song. The Cuppy Cake song. We will be celebrating the Chocolate Cupcake Day all day today. Chocolate Cupcake was established to celebrate day was established to celebrate the most perfect form of a cupcake, the chocolate cupcake. They are called uh, by many names throughout the world. Our personal favorite would be the term fairy cake from the Brits. The original cupcake seems to go back as far as 1796 where cakes cooked in small cups were mentioned, and the actual term cupcake was first seen in Eliza Leslie's cookbook. (sighs) Thank you, Eliza. Where would we be without you? We will take a break, folks. That's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. Life's good. Yeah, right? We're, We're decreasing the data breaches, and we're increasing the cupcake eating. Life is very good. We'll take a break. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Happy Chocolate Cupcake Day. Mmm. This is so my favorite day. We've got to stop... You know, naming all these food-related days if we don't have the actual food in studio. That's a great point. It's torture. Well, I think what we ought to do, and let's make a note of this, is let's have Don start to give us a budget where – and then we will just plan ahead and – because we always know what day the next day is. I just have one of the producers. I don't think he would have signed on to Virus Appreciation Day though. Yeah. Well, actually, today we are going to be doing Virus Appreciation Day because Caitlin Thomas will be reporting on, uh, you know, common sicknesses and illnesses. Cures for the common cold. Cures from the common cold, by the way, from a woman with a cold. Yeah. So we're going to have to figure out how we're going to uh, process that interview. What I'd like her to do is I'd like her to get on her cell phone and stand on the other side of the glass here. You want to do that? That would be great. And we ought to video it. We had a room. We have a room across the building, but that would be better if she would stand there. If she could just stand right here Ooh, I'll go on her, her cell phone 
we could talk to her, and then I think it would be really fun if we filmed it. Let's video it. That way she'll only infect all the people out right, there. Right, She does not need to come in the inner sanctum and infect us. Should I wheel one of these sort of high-sitting chairs that we have yes. here out there so she could sit comfortably that would be the window? so great. We could totally do that. I don't want her to feel bad, but yeah. I do want to make the point that we can't bring illness and viruses into this room. I don't think she's contagious anymore. That's famous last words. Yeah, I know. Many a person died of the plague because somebody had said that. So we will get to that great story in a bit. It's also, by the way, No Beard Day, which isn't a problem for us at BYU because we don't – we have a beard code. It is a job stipulation. Yeah. Shave it off. Plus, some can't even grow a beard. Like Sadie couldn't grow a beard to save her life. Mm. Especially because she uses that one mask and pulls all of her hair off her face. When I was gone, yeah, for my uh, the birth of my child, didn't shave for fifteen. No, it was ten days. Did you grow a beard then? Oh, yeah. You look good. It was pretty thick. My wife was like, "Wow, look at that! Look at you! You are a man." Then I shaved it all off. This is the beard song. Got me a beard. His girlfriend asked him to shave his beard, and he says, "Nobody tells me to shave my face hair, so I dumped her." Wow. But then he's having a really bad day because you don't dump somebody because of facial hair. That's fixable, right? No comment. Samson and Delilah, you don't mess with hair. Right. Isn't that the story? Can I use that argument here? Yeah. Okay. Good luck with that. Uh, No beard day. We'll get to all of that fun. Plus today we're going to be talking about why teen brains need later school start times. It's interesting. Your kids in elementary school, their brains can handle earlier times. High school kids' brains can't. They don't function without the proper amount of time. But if you push the start time too far back, then there's no time for sports and other activities after school. Exactly. So what do you do? You push it back. Especially later in the fall when right. there's less light. Buy lights. Put them on the, put them on the field. Hmm. Kids need sleep. Then everyone can go watch their practices end at 11.30 at night. <laughs> but the kids' brains, they don't even want to go to bed till 10.30 anyway. Yeah. So we'll get to all that fun. Lots to talk about. Um, plus a guy, a, 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 I don't know what we call it, just a surprising story of a guy that got shot. He shot himself hmm. with his gun while sitting on the toilet. Hmm. Well, hey. Accidents happen. What better place? That's, then it flashed back to when he was a child, like, I hope you didn't have an accident. No, Mom, I just shot myself in the leg. Was his name John? Yeah, totally was. But first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen and the headline. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? In an interview with Fox, Melania Trump defends her husband's decision to attack Bill Clinton's past behavior in response to the uproar over leaked tape in which he brags about sexually assaulting women. They're asking for it. They stated they started from the beginning of the campaign putting my pictures up from my modeling days, Melania Trump said. That was my modeling days, and I'm very proud of what I did. I worked very hard. While Melania Trump said she found her husband's comments on the tape offensive and inappropriate, she added, I accept his apology, and we are moving on. Hillary Clinton's team has ramped up efforts for her presidential campaign in both Texas and Arizona. With a new one-week ad by in Texas, the campaign has released a video emphasizing the Clinton's Dallas Morning News star endorsement. Chelsea Clinton, Bernie Sanders, and Michelle Obama will all appear in Arizona this week. Clinton campaign manager Robbie Mook said the team is also investing an additional $2 million in advertisements in the state. 
Former Attorney General Eric Holder is set to head up a new Democratic group focusing on redistricting reform. And President Obama will likely join his former administration colleague when he leaves office next January. Called the National Democratic Redistricting Community Committee, the group will coordinate campaign strategy, district direct funding, organize ballot initiatives, and put together legal challenges to state redistricting maps. Political reports... In an effort to fight gerrymandering that has traditionally benefited the Republican Party in state elections. And finally, yes, there is a restaurant uh, at Alton Towers in the UK that brings a new meaning to fast food mm. as meals travel to diners via a 30 mile per hour roller coaster. Cool. It's called the UK's Roller Coaster Restaurant, and it allows customers at a theme park to watch their dinner tackle two gravity-defined loop-de-loops before dropping eight feet down to their table. Each disc is placed at the top of the ride by chefs and travels a whopping 30 miles per hour. Wow. To ensure the dishes are up to the task, they have been tested extensively in order to check they can withstand the force. Very interesting, I thought. Have you ever been to a sushi bar where they, they're on those conveyor belt things? Oh, like the revolving yeah, tables? And yeah, and you just grab the plate off you want. Well, what if they just sped that up to 30 miles an hour? You know, that would almost be amazing. If you could grab And then if you can grab it, you get it. Because sometimes I just get so frustrated. I'm like, I'm sitting on the other end of the table. I can see the one I want over there. Yeah, yeah. Five, ten minutes later, comes back around. That There's nothing I hate more than a buffet where you have to walk really far to get to the buffet. Absolutely. And then you got to walk back. I mean, sure, it's healthier. <laughs> but who wants healthy when you want to just get as much food in your belly as you can? Plus, it would help with, you know, get rid of all the, you know, indecisive people that just right. spend so long. Right. Don't you hate it? Like, you're at the drive-thru at McDonald's and somebody, like, seems shocked about the menu. And they're they're thinking it through like, have you never seen a McDonald's menu, man? What do you serve here? <laughs> I'd like something for breakfast. Do you have something different than you've had the last 50 years? No, we don't. Wow, Sadie. Took you on a tangent there. Thank you, Sadie Nielsen. Well done. Um, man, we got so much to carry and or to cover today. Holy cow. Where to begin? We got to begin, I think, personally with... Um, the a poor Macon, Georgia man. I don't know why, Terry. This guy reminded me of you. Why? I think when you hear – we sent a reporter that actually didn't end up reporting much, but he ended up just being with the family and caught some really cool audio. Okay. Well, the, the guy was so well-spoken, I don't think the interviewer yeah. felt the need to That's pipe right. in. That's right. That's why I think he reminded me of you is because he's hmm. so well-spoken. But a Macon, Georgia man reportedly shot himself in the leg Saturday afternoon while sitting on the toilet. Hmm. According to the Bibb County Incident Report, the man was sitting on the toilet in his home while trying to clean his pistol when it went off, striking him once. Some people read magazines. Yeah. He's well, he's being efficient. Yeah. He got time. Right. Right? Yeah. Free time. The man told authorities that uh, when they responded to the hospital in reference to the shooting, that he had dropped the magazine and was trying to ride the hammer huh. of the gun forward when it slipped, causing the weapon to go off. He told police that he noticed he had been shot after his wife entered the bathroom. That that guy's tough. He didn't even couldn't even tell that he'd been shot until his wife came in. Well, yeah, you'd think you'd just see your leg, I don't know, bleeding. Maybe. But his wife, I mean, imagine his wife runs in like, "What are you doing in here?" 
probably terrified and he's just sitting there and she's like your legs bleeding and okay let's get you to the doctor well we had a reporter on scene that went and just interviewed the people but really just listened in and this is a little audio from uh, his visit well i suppose i would be willing to indulge your curiosity on the matter however i myself find the subject to be quite undignified I was born and raised in Macon, Georgia. My progenitors have been cleaning their weapons in the loo for hundreds of years, and this sort of thing has never transpired. I was poring over the latest edition of Field and Stream when I heard the pistol engage in a shot. The nearby residents of our bucolic rural trailer community were not in the least bit pleased with the boom of my pistol and the cacophony of wails emanating from my mouth. I fear I shall have to weather their murmurings for at least a fortnight. I was quite devastated, as I had made arrangements to accompany my spouse to the Waffle House. If you've never attended, it's such a splendid establishment. And this news did not suit Bertha, did it, my love? I don't gonna tell him he gonna shoot himself one day, day, but no, he gotta be stupid redneck like he all done always did. I tell him he make me miss my waffle house again, he gonna lose you to more than just that leg. Luckily, my pistol has an aluminium barrel and not a steel barrel. Otherwise, the damage may have been irrevocable. But, oh, the excruciating pain. If only there was some sort of elixir that could alleviate the tenderness of my wound. Don't you go thinking this don't get you out to take me bingo on Saturday nights. Wow. There's so much to take in there. Yeah. Do you see why it reminded me of you? No. Why the guy did? Not at all. No. Very intelligent. Hmm. Why? Because he's British? Well, he used the word bucolic. What about aluminium? In a, in a sentence. Wow. You know, it's weird just as a relationship expert how some people get together. Opposites attract. Yeah. Yeah. What was her name, Bertha? Bertha. All the best ones are named Bertha. Oh, yeah. All the best ones are named Bertha. <laughs> okay, interesting. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Hey, um, a little update. Not an update, but a, a story out of Texas, which is why we've got to make sure our kids get enough sleep. Listen to this. Um, a Texas student trades his pants with a friend so she can take a quiz. Hmm. Tonight on Where Are My Pants. Honey. Where are my pants? (laughs) Wow. True friends go the extra mile for one another, and in the case of one Arlington friendship, that means trading pants. Andrew Nguyen is is the definition of friendship of – is – the definition of friendship goals, and the internet couldn't agree more. Nien, a student at the University of Texas at Arlington, took to Twitter to talk about how he went above and beyond for his friend Diane Lee. My friend needed sweatpants in order to go into her lab and take a quiz, so I'm just chilling in the restroom for 50 minutes with girls' jogging shorts on. They traded clothes. Yeah, apparently, like in the testing center, you got to have pants on. Which seems odd. Not just jogging shorts. And then, and then after the test, she said, I'll take my jogging pants back. And he's like, no, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> and he took a, I, he took pictures of himself, put them out on his social yeah. media of him standing there. And Diane Lee wasn't able to wear her shorts during the quiz due to a dress code. So she suggested trading the pants. Basically, we were in the library and she was studying really hard for this exam. And I was doing my other homework. 
So Nguyen <laughs> took one uh, for the team and waited in the bathroom for 50 minutes until Lee was finished with her quiz. So uh, I need your pants. Yeah. How does that conversation you start? You know you're a good friend oh, when, yeah. when somebody asks if they can borrow your pants. And you're like, absolutely. Just give me a moment here. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how that would even begin. You know, let's just be real. Uh, if any of you were planning to ask for my pants, the question or the answer is no. I'll be wearing my pants. Today. It seems like an odd request to make. Oh, Jerry, this is going to sound weird, but I really need to wear your pants. Hmm. Can you wear my running shorts, my girl female running shorts? That's kind of awkward. Yeah. Yeah. But good friend. Really, really. Really good friend. Yeah. Hey, an intruder was caught shaving his head in the bathroom of the homeowners where he was. Now, uh, he had invaded their home. We've had people break into homes, take naps, make sandwiches, do all kinds yeah. of odd things, but no right. one stopped to shave their face or a lot shave of pe- their head. A lot of people aren't into shaving their head, but police said the intruder was caught by the couple shaving his head in their bathroom. The Kaiser, Oregon Police Department said they were called to a report of a burglary at a home around 5.45 p.m. Police said 39-year-old Eric Avila allegedly broke through the back fence of the house. Mm. And then uh, Avila entered the home through a sliding glass door. One homeowner, Patricia Koskela, was home at the time and was unaware that anyone was inside the house. According to police, Avila proceeded into the bathroom inside the house and Koskela's husband arrived shortly after to find Avila in the bathroom, shaving his head with a razor. Huh. What do you say, like, hey? <laughs> what are you doing? What you doing? Oh, just shaving my head. Koskela said she and her husband tried to talk to Avila and asked him to leave the house. So they were finally able to escort Avila out the door. And even though she said the man was not threatening or violent, she felt uh, she had to call the police. <laughs> we may have a situation here. Patricia sounds like a very nice lady. Yeah, they, they seem to handle it quite calmly. Would I know you, people would be... Would you like a sandwich? We're making sandwiches for dinner. <laughs> what are you, emotional. What are you using there? A, a two-blade? Is that a yeah, two-blade? I think blade? you're going to want to use a three-blade. Oh, sorry, you missed a spot. You missed a spot. <laughs> Officers found Avila hiding a short time later in a nearby area. They noted that they were quickly able to identify the suspect because he had a partially shaved head. <laughs> His head's half He didn't shaved. even get to finish the deal. Well, they'll do it at prison. They'll take, eh, they'll take care of that in prison. Yeah, no problem. They Good won't barbers. give him a straight edge in prison. You know, this is one we need to probably have Maxime give some advice on someday in the future. Should you shave your head when you're committing a breaking and entering? Yeah. Or what is it? Yeah. It's got a, a yeah, house robbery. Hmm. Maybe he wasn't, I guess, robbery is because he borrowed shaving cream? Could be. Is that a robbery? Or is that a breaking and hygiene? Maybe he had other goals by breaking into the home but got distracted by, hey, I need to shave my head. Maybe you hold off on that impulse, continue with the robbery, and then leave the premises. If you're going to be a good, uh, you know, felon, then make sure you stick to the plan. (laughs) It's when they get distracted that's when they always get (gasps) in trouble. Oh, there's moose. Maybe I'll do my hair. Oh, there's shaving cream. I've been meaning to shave my head. Oh, well. See, folks, it could be a lot worse. And it will be with your kids if you don't make sure they get enough time to sleep. Up next, Kyla Wallstrom will be joining us and talking to us about why teen brains need a later school start time. Folks, they need more sleep than you think. That's why a lot of the weird things those teens do, uh, why they're happening. Got to watch out. More ahead. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. 
Millions of high schoolers have to wake up early to start school, and many parents can tell you about the struggles that they face getting their teens ready for school every day. Sleep deprivation in teenagers because of early school start has been a topic that has uh, been debated for nearly two decades now. The question school principals, superintendents, school boards around the nation are asking is whether high school should start later or keep making teens wake up early. Here with us today to talk about it is Dr. Kyla Wallstrom. She's a senior research fellow at the University of Minnesota, and she's been researching this topic for 20-plus years. Kyla, thank you so much for being with us today. It's a pleasure to be with you. What a big deal this is. I have six kids, Kyla, and (laughs) getting them up this morning, I woke up my, what, my 11-year-old and my 13-year-old, and... um, it's getting harder and harder. They used to just come down right on time a few years ago, and now they're getting harder and harder. I don't even try to wake up my 17-year-old. Um, we just know that you know he'll, he'll wake up at the last second and somehow make it to school. What is the difference? What's going on? Why is it so hard to wake up a teenager? Well, you know, the uh, evidence that has been coming in from the medical research for the past even probably since 1988 to 1990, has been really clear that teenagers, just teenagers, um, have a unique time in their brain development where their sleep-wake cycle has a profound shift. And basically the teen brain, once teenagers hit adolescence, um, they are unable basically to fall asleep about before 11 at night, and they're basically unable to wake up, at least be fully functioning, as you've indicated, until 8 in the morning. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And this is just a matter of human biology. They found this to be true around the world in all teenagers in all countries. So it isn't just a cultural thing, an American thing, or something of the sort, but it's something in human biology that puts teens to sleep at around 11 at night with melatonin secretion at that time, and they're unable to wake up until 8. So that's oh my why your heavens. kids are hard to wake up. <laughs> so it's a teenage thing, right? I guess yeah. elementary school kids, they, they don't suffer from the same ailment. That's correct. And I guess we probably yeah. shouldn't call it an ailment. It's a developmental no, right. condition. Uh, condition yeah. yeah. So, so, so I guess the brain is trying to get them to get more sleep during that time. Say that again? It, the, the, the brain is wired to get them melatonin kicking in 1030 to 11, so that'll put them to yeah. sleep. But really, it's trying to at least get them eight or nine, ten hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the, the brain scienti- uh, scientific community right now is really looking at, you know, the effects of sleep deprivation and the importance of, of um, adequate sleep, because that is a real um, indicator when there's sleep deprivation of really terrible things. And so um, this teenager uh, sleep phase shift is critical that most people don't know about. I mean, parents don't get that information when they are bringing their new baby home, that when their child hits uh, puberty at age 13, 14, or whatever, that all of a sudden they're going to have a child that they're unable to wake up um, until after 8 in the morning. Right. And it's it's so funny because it's also why they don't want to go to bed. So you mm-hmm. keep thinking, if you're so tired, go to bed. Yes. But they well, can't. Matt, I have interviewed hundreds and hundreds of teens um, in focus groups and individually, and they will tell me to a person that they can be just dog-tired, but they lay in bed and stare at the ceiling (laughs) until about 10.45 or 11, and then fall asleep. 
So tiredness is different than sleepiness. Well, and then I'll see my 17-year-old on the couch taking a nap right after school for two hours. Yes. And you're thinking, see, that's the problem. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) But it really is – this is just their nature. They go to bed. Serotonin kicks in. For the rest of us as adults, I guess, when does serotonin kick in? You, um, I think you're meaning melatonin. Or me, sorry, mel- melatonin. Yeah, yeah, melatonin. Well, see, our sleep-wake cycle as adults and even as young children um, are, number one, it's genetically predetermined. So you probably inherited that, your sleep-wake cycle from your parents as you have passed on to your kids. Mm. So that's number one. And then the, um, the, the preferences for sleep are either early risers, like I have some friends, I can't believe it, they like to wake up at four in the morning. Yeah. Um, I, I, that's not me. Then um, they're on the other end of the spectrum, there are people, adults, who really can't function unless you for 10 in the morning, just because that's their brain preference. And that's about 28% of the population. And about 53% of us are kind of in that middle uh, range of going to bed around 11, getting up at seven. Hmm. That's pretty, pretty common. But yeah, that's it's, me. It's genetic. So, so you, you're you're, yeah. you're battling genetics. You're battling age differences. If you have mm-hmm. many kids, you could have some that you're trying to put to bed by nine, and the teenagers that can't really sleep till eleven, and then yeah. that means you don't sleep till midnight. Right. <laughs> <sighs> right. How do yeah, we make it there? And then, meanwhile, schools are scheduling these teenagers to be there by seven in the morning. Yeah, and that's what that's what we have been studying over the last twenty years, and it's been. Fascinating. My background is I was a school um, classroom teacher and then a principal mm. and um, a district administrator in special education for almost 20 years. Oh, so wow. I, yeah, so I'm fully grounded in the lives of, of schools and school um, culture, school administration, and so on. But then for the past 25 years, I've been doing this research. And, and it's very interesting because schools um, are very rooted in community norms and community patterns, and so it's very difficult for them to even consider making such a change um, to move the high schools to later, and more often than that means that the elementary age students are then brought in earlier if they have to reuse the buses and multiple right. bus runs. Mm-hmm. So, so some of this is, is community-based and just cultural history. Yeah. Some of it is um, the actual need of busing and resources. Exactly. And, you know, it's, that's part of the, the difficulty, but, but also then part of the benefit, too, because elementary children, I was an elementary teacher and then a principal there, you find that kids, as you maybe know your own, from your own children, they're awake and alert and ready, ready to go, even yeah. if parents aren't, aren't at 7, 15, 7.30. So um, the schools that have made this shift for the high schools and then have moved their elementary students to earlier times... The teachers, elementary teachers, that these kids are now much more alert, ready for huh. for their learning in the morning. Because little kids are usually kind of done and you know, kind of tired and wasted by about two thirty three in the afternoon. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so, if your yeah. elementary school in that regard goes to four, then that's really lost time as well. So this flip of the putting the elementary kids first in the morning to school, and then this the secondary or high school kids to later, has been very successful once. Once the change gets fully implemented. In your article in the conversation, mm-hmm. why teen brains need later start times, I mean, this is more than even, you know, um, the effectiveness of educating these children. It's also 
accidents. It's what it's yeah. their travel time. It's it's their yeah. health. You know, yes, and it's that's what's really concerning. I think the general public, and that's why the study that I got funding for from the Centers for Disease Control, they see this teen sleep deprivation issue with early start as a matter of public health uh, concern, and that's because the teenagers that don't get enough sleep um, are um, extremely more likely to be depressed, mm. to even have suicidal thoughts, and any teen that's getting chronically less than seven hours of sleep, or I'm sorry, less than eight hours of sleep, but, but eight hours seems to be the tipping point, are much more likely to use drugs, cigarettes, and alcohol. Really? By far. Mm-hmm. So sleep deprivation is causing some of their these other kind of uh, what we used to call like antisocial behavior, like these, uh, these, these more dangerous behaviors. Absolutely. And like, as you mentioned a minute ago, um, the study included also an analysis of teen car crash rates. And when I did the study that specifically looked at Jackson Hole, Wyoming, um, and they made a shift from about 7.25 to 8.55, so it was an hour and um, 20-minute change. It was a big change. Their crash rate there after these later start was initiated dropped by 70%. Holy cow. Yeah. I mean, worth it. It is. I mean, it's saving lives, not only of the teens, but... They crash into us if they fall asleep at the wheel. No, you know? right. So it's like everybody. <laughs> I mean, we are, we're already terrified to have them driving. And yeah, now, because <laughs> they probably are like driving under the influence of no sleep. That's not well, good. Well, and in, I'm glad you use that phrase because um, anybody, this is teenagers or adults, but anybody who's driving with less than four hours of sleep has the reaction time of being legally drunk, oh. of 0.08 alcohol content. Their reaction time, their eye movements... You know, the ability to make a quick decision quickly with your car um, is similar to being drunk at um, with less than four hours of sleep. Unbelievable. And then mm-hmm. we want them to go to school and and supposedly learn. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we I mean, we're really handicapping them. And some of it, I mean, it makes sense because, I, I mean, I guess the rub is if we get them there earlier, then they can have their extracurricular activities and still get home in time for piano lessons and dinner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Matt, that's, that's the real dilemma that I think we as an American society need to grapple with, and that is we've got kids, and it's wonderful, they have co-curricular activities with sports and, and science club and piano lessons and, and service learning projects and so on. I mean, this is all wonderful for their development, but we have kids that are so scheduled with all those activities plus putting in school and homework mm. on top of that, that somewhere the thing that gets cut is the sleep part. And that's the thing that really damages their health and well-being. Um, and so the discussion needs to be how many sports, how many activities do you really need to be in? Right. You know, those are the kinds of discussions that families really should be having. And how much, I mean, we're burning the candle at both ends, right? We're, mm-hmm. we are, we're killing the goose to get eggs out of it. Yeah. supposedly, you know, helping them, and in the end, the goose is going to be dead. That's right. It's really a dangerous, it's a dangerous dance that we're doing with all these activities. Mm. And, and, and the thing is, I think kids need to be educated um, about their own body and health and development. And so when we have looked at curricula that teens have gotten about sleep and the brain development, number one, they're fascinated by brain development, about their own brains, because kids like to learn about their own bodies. But secondly, they then self-regulate, hmm. and they'll say, you know what, I really 
I need to get to bed. I really am not going to be good tomorrow if I don't do, you know, get to bed now. So this self-regulation piece is pretty important too that comes with knowledge that kids get. No, I love it. And I can it already is eliminating some arguments in my head um with my children like get to bed. Now I know why we have this crazy battle every night. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Kyla Wallstrom on why teen brains need later school start times. Amazing, amazing information she's bringing us. Again, Dr. Kyla is a senior research fellow at the University of Minnesota, has been researching this topic for over 25 years. Amazing insight. We'll take a break, come back, give you some more tools, some ideas, what else you can do as a parent and as a community member to uh, to adjust some of these things. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer and uh, lead healthier, happier lives. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the line with us is Dr. Kyla Wallstrom. She's a senior research fellow at the University of Minnesota, and uh, her research work over the past 25 years has examined school and district leadership and the outcomes that result uh, from educational policy initiatives. She's also researched sleep and uh, your children, folks. Um, These teenagers... Biologically, they're just flat out different. They their melatonin tends to not kick in till about ten thirty, which means they're not usually going to go to bed till about eleven. Whereas uh, elementary school kids, they their theirs will kick in earlier. You can wake them up earlier. They tend to do different uh, differently than these uh, teenage kids. We appreciate you, Kyla, bringing this insight to us. I mean, really, it, it it almost probably explains a lot of the conflict parents have with their teenage kids. Yes. As a matter of fact, in the first years that we did this study, we polled parents, and 92% of the parents said that after the later starting time, their kids were easier to live with. Mm. 92%. And so it's pretty amazing how parents will you know, indicate that that this has been happening. And part of the reason is when the brain... Um, during sleep, sleep, I'm going to back up here. The brain is actually more active when we are asleep than when we're awake, believe mm. it or not. Okay? So given that as sort of the baseline of how much activity is going on in the brain, the brain sorts through all the memories during the day and, and the facts, the millions and bits of information. And what they have found is that during sleep, um, the if you don't get adequate sleep, the negative aspects of any memory are retained longer and take longer to be categorized and and sort of sorted and flushed out of the brain during sleep. So people, teens and and included here, who get less sleep than they need or should be getting, they actually, their mood is depressed and they are more volatile, Mm. um, more likely just to kind of lash out and, and say things that are angry. It's because the um, the brain doesn't have a, hasn't had a chance to sort of sort out all of the um, affective pieces of a of a piece of information. That that is a teenager. Yeah, they're just yeah. underslept and a little angry and a little irritable and yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And in the schools where we've done um, the data collection, I remember the first time I was walking into one of the schools that had made the change, and I was pulled aside by the school counselor and said, I've got to tell you, these kids are not coming in anymore or as frequently for uh, peer relationship problems, problems with their parents, um, mm-hmm. peer problems. Uh, they were just saying these, these, these uh, students don't have the same level of issues. The principal said there is less um, uh, undercurrent and uh, in the passing in the hallway, it's smoother passing time without kids kind of, you know, jabbing at each other and making dumb comments that kids will do during passing time. Or in the cafeteria, the cafeteria tone had improved and there was less um, disciplinary actions that happened in the cafeteria. Unbelievable. So, yeah. So, so what's the ideal starting time? Like if you were recommending, what should parents go start pushing for? Well, you know, that's an interesting question because ultimately it's not so much about the starting time, which it does, but ultimately it's about what can you do to enable the teens to not have to wake up before 8 in the morning. Hmm. Okay, that's the key. And depending upon how long the bus ride is or the walking time or whatever it is, but most schools that have the greatest success start at 8.30 or later. And that's what the American Academy of Pediatrics came out of the policy statement a year ago, based on the research that I had done, basically saying this is what is needed to have healthy teens, is schools should not be starting before 8.30. And I mean, honestly, because I have boys, a girl and five boys, I could, my son could shower at night, we could get a nice breakfast ready that he could just take mm-hmm. on the run, and he could shower in 10 minutes, be dressed, and out the door at 8, 10, 20, and be to school in 5 or 10 minutes. I yeah, mean, it could exactly. be, so you're just saying... Do what you can. If if you could create the policy and get the the community to change the the, the policy and the times, that's great. Mm-hmm. If not, do whatever you can to get your kid to be able to sleep till eight. That's right. Interesting. That's that. In fact, that is sort of like the magic formula. I'm glad you said it that way because that's what it takes. It just takes a lot enabling kids to get that amount of sleep. The other thing, of course, that is that is interfering with sleep, and this is a recent phenomenon, and that's the cell phone. Uh, plague, oh, if you will, in yeah. the bedroom. In in the um, the, the uh, data that I collected on over nine thousand students, eighty seven percent of those kids kept a cell phone in the bedroom. Oh no! Wait, really? Eighty seven percent. Eighty seven percent. And see, the problem is, kids will say, "Well, I need it for my alarm." Well, get an alarm clock. No, I hear that all the time. Okay? Yeah. Because the problem is, when those the, if they have some friends that are texting them or doing something in the middle of the night, as much as a child feels like they're going to ignore it, you know, teens, they're not right. going to ignore a text. And so the phone needs to be out of the yeah. bedroom. Yeah, we don't allow it up there, but That's good. people do, and. Um, we don't even allow it there during the day, really. Like, it's mm-hmm. just be down here with your phone. It's like a computer. Just yeah. computers yeah. stay in public areas. In public areas. That's right. Hmm. Yeah. It's, so. uh, I mean, then not to mention the light uh, that comes and emits from the, the phone, which mm-hmm. also messes up with, messes up the melatonin. Yes, it's exactly a, right. And, and then uh, kids are already socially driven, right? And socially charged. Mm-hmm. And phones just are methods of magnifying social problems. <laughs> Yes, and um, you're right about the light because if they turn on their phone, even just even if they don't respond to the text, that blue light that comes out of um, mm. either an iPhone or a, an iPad type of device, smartphone, is going to upset the cal- the chemical balance in the brain for sleeping. So mm. that gets to be a problem. Is um, so. Let's say we wanted to take on the the school and we wanted to kind of promote this and start mm-hmm. pushing it. What would you suggest is the best way to push it, our districts or our or our school system? 
you know, the the best route is to to gently suggest that there be um, a community meeting about this with research in hand, because honestly, just as you and I are talking now, most people don't understand this, and they think that the teens are just being teenagers and recalcitrant and obstreperous, yeah. all those good words, that really makes them hard to live with, when in fact, it's a matter of biology. So if you have in hand all the research and you sit down with a community group and say, this is what we know from the medical people, the educational people, is this something we should be doing in our community? Hmm. And for all the community meetings that I've either spoken at or observed or participated with, that's been the key is the information. People get educated and then they go, wow, yeah. this is something we should be thinking about. Well, nobody wants to destroy the lives of a teenager. No. I mean, I, and that's that's the fun of being a parent. But um, is so do you have like a white paper? Do you have a data set that we that we could access and take? I, I'm, I'm doing a television thing uh, Wednesday that I'm now going. I've just found my new topic, Kyla. <laughs> I'm going to be talking about this. What good. what good. Um, good. what do you think? Where do we get the accurate data from your study? Well, there is um, my, the full report is um, on the University of Minnesota website for school start time study. So okay. um, I could send that actually to you and you could either post it on yeah. your, if you've got a, um, you know, a, yeah. a posting for your show. We do. We have a Twitter page. So if you want to send it to me, we'll, sure. po- we'll post it up there and then um, we'll get it out to as many people as we can. That'd be great. That's yeah. great. Kyla, we appreciate you. Thank you for your great work and keep it up. We're going to have to have you back and pick your brain some more on what else we can do to take our kids to the next level in life. Just the next level of health and happiness. Forget getting them another class to take. Powerful stuff, folks. We will take a break. Come back. We've got a lot of interesting stuff. We'll be talking about sicknesses. Plus, we'll be doing another movie review for the scary movies of Halloween. All up next. Uh, in fact, let's go right now. And uh, at this break, we'll go do a little movie review for you. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. BYU Radio. Talk about good. This is Jeff Simpson here with my third pick for the 12 Days of Halloween Movies. One of the great biblical commandments is love thy neighbor. Well, if you live next door to the antagonist of my next two picks you might find that commandment difficult to keep. The 2006 computer-animated film Monster House is part Rear Window and part The Goonies, which is fitting since Steven Spielberg, a producer of that 80s classic, produces this film. The movie starts off on the eve of All Hallows' Eve, with 12-year-old DJ Walter spying on his cantankerous neighbor, Mr. Nebercracker. With a name like Nebercracker, who wouldn't be cantankerous? for years has confiscated any toy that lands on his lawn. DJ spying includes tracking the movements of Nebercracker's spooky and mysterious house, which seems to come alive only when no adults are looking. Officer, we have reason to believe that there's a dangerous creature inside that house. And it grabs things and pulls them in and eats them. <laughs> we'll see you later. Now, we've all had a Nebercracker as a neighbor. My Nebercracker once used trigonomics to convince my dad that the dent in his car had to have been caused by a baseball coming from our house. Right. However, we may not all have had a monster house in our neighborhood. So what do you do when you're convinced the house across the street is a living, breathing, attacking entity? 
Well, in young DJ's case, you skip the trick-or-treating and enlist the help of two friends. One is the Brains, a sober, sassy Girl Scout. The other is the Bozo, a cape-wearing chowderhead, aptly nicknamed Chowder. Here's an interchange between the two after they've successfully put the house to sleep using cold medicine. Those are the teeth, and that's the tongue. Then that must be the uvula. Oh, so it's a girl house. What? You know, this movie will always hold a special place in my heart. My wife and I watched this on our second date while we ate cookie monsters. It's actually our anniversary today, so if you'll excuse me for a moment. way to your girl's heart is to show her this Halloween movie I taped off cable TV. Okay. Well, as cute as this all sounds, this is one kid's movie that is really not a kid's movie. The monster house can be quite frightening at times. Breathing fire from its chimney, snatching up its victims with adjacent trees and bearing its sharp wood shingle fangs. This bozo made the genius parenting decision to show this movie to his two-year-old and four-year-old. Oh, well, it's not like that'll scar them for life, right? No, serious, will it? I'll be back tomorrow with my other Love Thy Neighbor pick for the 12 Days of Halloween Movies. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, so Jeffrey, it's your wedding anniversary? That's right. Eight years ago today. Oh, best decision you ever made. Absolutely. She's great. Hopefully she's not questioning it. Well, she actually called yesterday. Oh, shoot. So we have a meeting. We're just going to have a little intervention. Okay. But it'll be fun. You guys can go out to dinner after. (laughs) It'll be super great. Well, Jeff, congrats uh, to both of you. Um, Here's the thing. We've all had to deal with it before. We've all suffered it. It's wrath at times. It can knock us out. It can leave us begging for it to stop. Yes, people, I am talking about the common cold. And uh, our very own producer, Caitlin Thomas, joins us over the phone this morning to talk more about the things we can do to fight the nasty common cold and uh, good morning, Caitlin. Welcome to the show. Good morning. So um, the funny thing about this, Caitlin put this together uh, recently, and then she came in today with the cold. I, yes. I just – I woke up on Sunday, and I could feel it. You could just – The feeling, yeah. the creepy, yeah. the cold creeping up your uh-huh. throat, coming out your nose, and I knew I was done for. Did you? I knew it. Well, you, what's funny about it, Caitlin, is – um, you sound like you're miles away. You know, it feels like I'm miles away in my brain. Where are you? Where are you calling from? Well, I'm actually outside the studio. In case any of you listeners are wondering, Matt didn't want me to come in yeah. because he didn't want to get sick. Well, because so. you're sick, and We're so this from, yeah. You know, so you are really about five feet me. away from me, but through bulletproof glass. You know, I was coming up with some things, ways to fight off and avoid the common cold. Yeah. The first one is. If you're sick, just quarantine yourself. Yeah, no, exactly. And if you don't or, quarantine yourself, let your team do it for you. Right. Like, let your boss do it for you. Yeah. Or if you know, like Matt, if, if you know someone that's sick, just run away. No, totally. If someone's got the 
yeah. Sniffles, just get out. I totally, I totally agree. And um, I is think that's the most effective way. And I really feel bad that you're out in the drafty part of the studio because you're out just where the commoners walk. Yeah, I'm really disinfecting all of the commoners out here in the hallway. Which so. I'm totally fine with. Um, not to be rude, but we can't have you in the studio because I've got I'm going on a trip in four days. So and that really forbid, Matt gets sick when he goes on a trip. Yeah. We wouldn't want that. No, we wouldn't want that. So what are some other things we can do to avoid the common cold? Well, the I mean, not one, that you did this, but you right, should have done it. Yeah. The second one is drink a lot of water. Coca Cola doesn't help much when fighting off the common cold. I disagree. Water. But, Agua. Okay, lots of water. Um, Stay hydrated. Chicken soup. <gasps> you know, you hear it's yeah. good for the soul. It's also great for the immune system. Now, I got a cold. Is that really true, that. though, or is it just that it hydrates you? Like, does it have an extra? What What is it that's so healing about chicken soup other than love of grandma? I don't know. Maybe it's mental, but everybody online, even the doctor said to try chicken. Soup. Okay, that's good. It warms you up. Mm. You can drink ginger honey tea. Really? So you you boil up your own like hard ginger, lemon, and honey, and you boil it and you drink it. It's supposed to be really good. It sounds throat. delicious. Yeah, it's actually not bad. I've tried it. If you feel a sore throat coming on, immediately gargle some salt water. Okay, yeah. I do that. Kills all the little buggers that are just chilling in the back of your throat. <laughs> this all would have been really good advice that you should have taken for yourself. Well, I'm following it now. Okay. That's good. You know what else works? Peppermint what? oil. Last night I was spraying my room. I was actually spraying peppermint oil around my room to uh, get rid of the mouse problem that uh, I have in my bedroom right oh, now. Okay. You have a mouse? I have a mouse in my room, and apparently peppermint oil gets rid of mice. But it also, <laughs> cleared, as I was spraying it, it was clearing up my sinuses. So there you go. Um, off air, talk to me, because I'm a really good expert in getting rid of mice. I'm not sure what that means. I just have, we have a house near horse pastures and mice come in. So I've got ways. We have ways to make them talk. (laughs) What else? Peppermint oil is a good way for the cold and a good way to get rid of mice. I know there's a lot of essential oils that you can use. I like doTERRA, the breathe. You can put it right on your nose at night. Uh It's really helpful and it helps you sleep. I'm personally a fan of... You know, NyQuil. Yeah. Oh, I can't get through the winter without NyQuil. Get your, give yourself some sleep. That's what you need. You just need to rest. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, when I'm, you're in the middle of midterms like me, you don't, you know, sleeping all day isn't an option. You no, don't really get no. a day off. Right. No, I'm with you. So. I, um, what about, and this is something my mom used to do to me, and maybe you need it, so just call your mom, um, Vicks VapoRub. And you don't have to use that brand, yeah. but that mentholatum rub, and you rub it on your neck and your chest, and then my mom would always pin a towel around my neck so that it wouldn't get all over, and then I could just go to bed in a blissful yeah. haze. Hey, I've used the rub, the vapor yeah. rub, but there's also a humidifier that I put in my room at night. See, those are all, these are all good ways. Uh, maybe you could wash your hands more. Yeah, please wash your hands, people. Hand sanitizer is literally in almost every building right. I've ever seen now. That's right. Buy it, carry it with you, put it in your purse, put it in your backpack. But, but the real point you're saying is if you're sick, just stay out of the office. Yeah, I think coming yesterday if that makes you feel any better. Yeah, no, I, we appreciate that. And you came in today, and then if you notice, we wheeled you out of the office. So you're now outside of the offices we are still sealed, hermetically sealed in our own little compartment with our own ventilation, and you are outside 
And we would just suggest now that the segment's over, you just go home. Yeah, well, I have to go to class, but I am. I have a, a medical mask. I'm probably going to wear it around. Oh, that'll my be face great. May, may I sprinkle some words of wisdom on this topic? Please, Jeffrey. All of these that we've talked about are also great ways uh, to get rid of clowns when you encounter clowns. Really? Lock yourself in. Peppermint oil. Oh, totally. Towel around your neck. Towel around your neck. Vicks VapoRub. Works for that, too. I think we're on to something. Maybe it's the clowns that are spreading the cold. Oh, wait, Matt. One more thing. Yeah. I know that she's listening, so I want to wish my mom a happy birthday. Happy birthday, Mom. Thank you for having a wonderful daughter, even though she's sick. But she's going to help me feel better. Your mom is a great woman. Well, we appreciate it, Caitlin. Thanks. Take care of yourself. Get yourself some soup. Good stuff. I'm headed there right now. Okay. You're awesome. We'll take a break. That's hour number two. See, we're healing you from your sleep to your sicknesses. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Hour number three of the program. Holy cow. Happy uh, No Beard Day. Is that what we're calling it? No Beard Day. There's beards that reach down to your toes. They are quite long. It takes a lot of work, a lot of effort. This Have is you... the beard song. What's the longest beard you ever grew? Um, I It was probably a month's worth, month and a half. When I was doing my dissertation, I kind of went all professorial. But I don't like – my dad has a beard. I don't like beards because I worry – that it, I actually like them a lot, but then I worry that I would never shave again. And then yeah. you can't ever come back because the minute you do shave, you just look puffy and weird. Right. Can't hide it. But if you go back to your uh, Coach a Crook yeah. segments that you've done, um, if you grow a really nice beard, then you commit some – thievery or something and then you go shave Shave you've completely changed the way you look and you possibly could get away with it right but then everyone's like are you retaining too much water because you're all puffy you're all puffy that's what harrison ford did in the fugitive he did see cut off his beard dyed his hair it does work no beard day it's also chocolate cupcake day Mm. by the way if you don't have a beard less chocolate cupcake in your beard this is true This is the Cupcake uh, Pinky Pink, no, Pinky Pie Song Cupcakes. Mm, Nice. (laughs) Glad we had that added to the show. (laughs) Jeff finds songs that you can't find anywhere else. Except YouTube. Except YouTube, Uh yeah. Okay. But he finds them. Well, yeah. Typed in Cupcake on YouTube. But you still got to type it. Oh, yeah, I understand. There's, There's effort and work and congratulations, but... Right, Jeff. Uh, Jeff's You're anniversary. A monster. <laughs> Today's Jeff's anniversary of eight years of marriage, marriage wedded bliss. Oh wow, how's that? It's fantastic. Okay, he's he is he's got a great life right now. Mm. Two beautiful daughters, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. an incredibly talented, gifted wife, and he works for the show. He is. He, in fact, next week he is the show. There you go. 
<laughs> Are you not going to be here? No. I'm gone next week. Oh. This is all yours. Could have told me that, you know. I didn't want to psych you out. I just wanted to get you going and let you just kind of wing it. But Terry's here, so pretty much everything's yeah. organized. No problem. <laughs> You're all right, dude. You'll be fine. But it is no beard day. Wow. He's taking this hard. It's quite emotional. I, uh, in my mind, I don't care because I'm going on a trip. Right. With You're my done. family. And I'm going to bring back Zika. Yeah. That'd be great. Come share that with us. I'll get you a seashell, Sadie. Chicklets? Chicklets for you. And what did you want, Terry? I'm taking orders. Just be here Monday morning. I'll bring you Zika. Just be here. Be here Monday morning. They're just rolling. Don't go. Don't have some sort of jet lag no. excuse. I or... really, oh, what if I just need to call it in? See? You've already started working up the excuse. You're like Donald Trump. You've already talked about how this whole thing's rigged. This, it is rigged. I think it's rigged. Um, there's a pretty good chance that you guys won't even be ready for me Monday. No, we'll be ready. Okay. We'll have everything set, ready to go. All right. We got so much to do uh, before I do go on the trip. Julie Nelson will be joining us in just a few moments talking about scariest things kids have ever told their parents. And when we come back, I want to know what your scariest thing you ever told your parents. Nothing. I admitted to something. When we were moving out of my mother's home that I was raised in, on the way out, I admitted to something that I'll let you in on. And it involved Balabnia. Wow. That meat that's made in a lab. Mm. Also known as bologna. But first, before we get to any of this fun and excitement, and before we get to get to our BYU Sports Nation guys, before we do the hero story, we must first go to Sadie Nielsen with the headlines of the day. Sadie, what's going on? It could be a very long four to eight years for the Supreme Court. Arizona Senator John McCain vowed Monday that the Republicans in the Senate would refuse any Supreme Court nominee put forward by Hillary Clinton if she wins the White House this fall. I promise you that we will be united against any Supreme Court nominee that Hillary Clinton, if she were president, would put up, McCain told CNN. I promise you. The Swedish Academy is reportedly giving up trying to contact Bob Dylan to congratulate him and discuss its awarding him the Nobel Prize in Literature. According to The Guardian, the prize-giving Academy's top secretary told Sweden's state radio that they'd received friendly replies from Dylan's closest collaborator, but have not heard from the bard himself since the prize was announced last Thursday. The songwriting legend has performed twice since then and has not made any public mention of the honor bestowed upon him. After years of legal wrangling, the Austrian government will demolish the birth house of Hitler, an interior ministry spokesperson said Monday. A new building in western Austria along the border of Germany will erase links to the Nazi dictator's birthplace and stop the house from becoming a shrine for neo-Nazi pilgrimage. On Tuesday, a government bill will be discussed for the expropriation of the building. After completion of the parliamentary process, officials will decide on its future. It's possible it may house a charity or government offices. And finally, um, this is an interesting story. Security cameras at a Florida car wash captured the moment a vacuum exploded while a woman was using it to clean gasoline from the trunk of her car. (sighs) Yeah. Gasoline? Yeah. Wait for it. Okay. Oh, did it just happen? Yeah. Okay, good. It's going on right now. Um, So Billy Barnwell, owner of Shuttle Car Wash in Titusville, said a surveillance camera captured the moment the vacuum exploded in flames while a woman was using it to suck up the gasoline that apparently spilled in the trunk of her car. It was a heck of an explosion. It just burnt up everything, he said. If you saw the video, you 
you would know it scared the heck out of her. Wow. The woman who did not appear to be injured in the explosion drove off without speaking to employees about the blast. Barnwell said she hasn't been seen at the station since the incident. Yeah, I'm out of here. Uh, boy, that was one heck of a blast. I watched the video and it's actually really hilarious because she's vacuuming up the back of her car and all of a sudden she just throws the vacuum to the side when it like blows up and she's like just standing there and she stares at it for probably about a minute and then she gets in her car and drives away. Is she going to get free car washes for life even though it was her fault? Well, yeah, she should be indicted. Yeah. But that's the type of thing that anybody would sue over. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was my gasoline in my car, but your vacuum made it explode. Why didn't you have a sign that you can't vacuum gasoline or other toxic products? They're going to have to do that next. For reals. Sheesh. People these days. What's happening to this country? Can you not even vacuum your car anymore without it exploding? And it wasn't even made by Samsung. It makes – yeah. Why was she on her Note 7 anyway? Apparently, those weren't exploding. They were more sizzling. Yeah, they were just immolating. Melting or whatever, yeah. Is, is, is immolation only when you burn yourself? Possibly. Yeah, that sounds bad. Okay. Um, well, thank you, Sadie. That was, uh, that was a hot story. In many ways. In many ways. Huh. Um, okay, so if you're learning anything, if any of you are taking notes today during the program, let us remember that we do not vacuum up gasoline. Toxic waste, right? Um, or really any form of flammable gas probably a or good, fuel. A good tip to, to live by. What we like to do at the Matt Townsend Show in order to sustain your health long term, we suggest highly you do not take oil, for example. And uh, when you drain your oil, do not hook up a vacuum and suck the oil out of your oil tank and instead... We suggest you don't dispose of it through vacuuming. We, we suggest you don't go to the gas tank and in order to siphon gas, don't use a vacuum. Just to avoid future explosions. Remember, it burns. <laughs> it burns. Hey, um, police are uh, they're on it, folks. A donut heist leads, uh, heist leads to capture of a wanted man. Authorities say a fugitive sweet tooth helped police capture a wanted New Mexico man after he tried to take a donut without paying for it. Gregory Mendoza was arrested Monday outside a bakery after police received a report that he stole a donut. Hmm. Police then discovered the 35-year-old Mendoza was wanted on a number of charges, including cruelty to animals and traffic violations. New Mexico court records show Mendoza has pen, 10 pending charges out of Carlsbad Magistrate Court. And now pastry theft. And now pastry theft. And by the way, interesting uh, little news about the Hobbs New Mexico Police Department. Hmm. More officers responded to the loss and theft of a donut. Was that an all-hands call? Is uh-huh. that what that was? That was like – that's the equivalent of an officer down. Wow. Call. Just one – probably one notch below. Yeah. And they converged. SWAT was brought in. It was amazing. Officer down, donut stolen. (laughs) This episode of the Matt Townsend Show is brought to you by donuts. Donuts. So good, you'll take them without paying for them. There you go. Good stuff. We mean no harm. That was just levity. Yes. 
Fun with stereotypes. <laughs> Nothing like a cop stereotype to just throw out there in today's day and age. Now, tell me if you'd ever be into this. A British man solves the world's smallest Rubik's Cube with yeah. tweezers. Nerd alert! Totally. Now, the comments I saw um, when you're doing this, that would be very difficult. Tweezers would be helpful to peel the stickers off and mm-hmm. put them back That's in order. That's exactly why you'd use tweezers. So... Maybe. He, he took a Rubik's Cube, apparently the world's smallest Rubik's Cube. Tony Fisher, who holds the Guinness World's Record for the largest Rubik's Cube, uh, after a, building a puzzle measuring five feet tall, hmm. created the Rubik's Cube measuring only 0.22 inches wow. on each side. Hmm. That's tiny. That is. And then he had to use tweezers to uh, to finish it. By the way, he got a 3D printer to make the puzzle so small – so then he had to file down a cube that started at 0.24 inches on each side, and he eventually solved the puzzle using tweezers and a magnifying glass. Wow. And just a little advice for um, Mr. Fisher. Time to get a life. <laughs> you need to get out more. You need <laughs> to get a date. Wow. You're a monster. I mean no harm. I really mean no harm. But that took a lot of work. Yeah. Again, I'm still like questioning the value of Guinness World Records because apparently everything goes. Everything's a record. <sighs> well, and you got to mention on the Matt Townsend show. That's true. Yeah. Shout out. Any other news we need to worry about? So we've uh, heard a lot of news recently about drones. Yes. A lot of regulations coming out. They're flying around passenger airplanes, around airports, and that's causing a lot of uh, feathers to be ruffled, not mm. just by birds. Yeah. But by people in charge. Uh, so in the UK, what they're planning on doing is they're going to run a drone into a passenger jet midair. Oh, that makes sense. For safety. Just to test it. Test, yeah, they're testing it. They have a 5,000 square foot mile restricted airspace Okay. in, I guess, central Wales Hold or whatever. It. They're going to take an airliner. Yes. I'm sure empty except for a, a pilot. A pilot. Or two. With a parachute. Sure. And an open door in case they need to jump out. Yeah. Then they're going to fly a drone into it, which will, I'm assuming, get sucked into an engine. That's what they're, yeah. Because that, that's the fear is that I you mean, have something small that runs through the engine. We talked, we had uh, Soli Solenberger on. Mm-hmm. He had birds flying to his engine. He landed it in the Hudson. Yeah. So you have something more solid, metal pieces right. of a drone. I What's mean, that going to do? Well, I don't know. Tear off an engine. Yeah. So they're going to do this. They, they, the government is putting uh, $300,000 towards this project. Wow. And they're going to test the midair collisions between drones and the fuselage and windows to see if they're up to, uh, the, I guess, the impact, to but, withstand the impact of the drone. Again, um, as a PhD, it seems like we'd have to have a sample size larger than one airplane, one drone. We'd have to have hundreds and th- or thousands right. of drones. Yeah. To create a sampling to know what it would really do. So they're going to have to do this over and over, varying sizes of drones because they come in all shapes yeah. and sizes. I mean, you think it about it. The odds really are for in favor of the airplane. How fun to be that drone pilot, though. Yeah. It says it still seems like a toddler mentality of ramming things together to see what happens. Yeah. Not that that's a bad thing. No. Wow. They apparently they had twenty three reported near misses over a six month period last year in Britain. Man, so they're they're seeing the Britain's uh, got a problem. A problem. They're trying to find a way to fix it. Isn't it um, interesting? You could either be the guy from Britain with the smallest Rubik's cube, or we could bring down an airline in Britain. 
Yeah. Hmm. I think I'd go for the airline. <laughs> cool stuff. All right. Thanks, Terry. We will take a break, folks. When we come back, Julie K. Nelson, the bomb mom, will be talking to us. A little Halloween treat for you. Uh, the scariest things kids have told their parents. Get ready. I got a story that you will not believe that I told my mom when we moved out of the house. Something I did when she wasn't home. Scary. Scary. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us today, Julie K. Nelson, also known as the Bomb Mom. It's the bomb. It's the bomb. She's also known as the Child Whisperer, and she joins us today. Uh, She is a professor of applied parenting and marriage and relationship skills at Utah Valley University. Also has a wonderful website, a spoonful of parenting.com. You won't want to miss that website. She's got everything she's ever done posted on that little piece of goodness. How are you, Julie? I'm doing great. How are you? Great. The bomb mom. And by the way, if you're celebrating Halloween, it's Julie's birthday that day. Yeah. Double awesomeness. You will be 36? Um, 35. 35. Sorry Uh not to age you prematurely. (laughs) Um, What is – so here's the deal. You wanted to talk about the scariest things that kids have told their parents. Yeah, because it's Halloween right around the corner. I love Halloween and my favorite holiday. Besides, it's my birthday, so, you know. Yeah. What's it like being born on the Day of the Witches? <laughs> my parents always called me their little witch. It was so sweet. Oh, that sounds yeah. so rude. No, it was cute. They'd was say it in cute? a very loving way. Oh, my yeah. little witch. Yeah. <laughs> It was, your little, my little spook, they'd say, you know, all Is this that stuff. What they yeah, would say? Yes. It was so cute, yes. Wow. And give me these cute little cards with little Halloween things. But it, it's special. It's different. It is. And for my birthday, everyone was dressed, you know, in a costume to come yeah. to my party. So it was always fun. Every, yeah. You, and it was always about you. Yeah. Plus you get all the candy you've I ever know. Wanted. And I love trick-or-treaters. They're so cute. I love kids. So you wanted to scare us as parents. I wanted to talk about scary kids and some of the weird things they say. And I mean, I, one of my favorite Halloween movies, I love it, is called, you know, The Sixth Sense. Did you, yes. did you see it? I don't like scary movies. Neither do I. I don't like, you like horror. I don't like horror shows at all, and I yeah. really avoid. But I, someone talked me into watching that movie, and I was just riveted by it. I just thought it was so cool, and and it's funny that I've seen it now because I get all the jokes from it. Like you know, when people are at their workstation, yeah. what do they have behind their workstation? <laughs> the, 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 the famous line from it is, "I see dead people," I right? See dead people. And then there's spinoffs like, "I see stupid people." Yeah, they're every you know they don't know. Oh, they're that's stupid. why all those signs are up. Yeah, yeah. now you know what they mean. They're from six. Yeah. So we're going to do things that kids have said that are super creepy. Okay. Just like I see dead people. Oh, that's scary. Um, Here's one. My three-year-old daughter stood next to her newborn brother and looked at him for a while. And then she turned to me and said, Daddy, it's a monster. We should bury it. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's always a weird moment, right? When you – when the kid – the older child has to adjust to the newborn. Yes. Put it back, right? Yeah. No, but I I love this one. It's a monster. We should bury it. That's That's even even better. (laughs) All right. Here's a really weird one. Yeah. Okay. A guy was on a bus recently and they stopped outside a walk-in clinic. A little girl in the seat in front of me on the bus turned to her dad and said – she looked at the clinic out the the window and said, death is the poor man's doctor. Oh, wow. (laughs) A child said that? Yes. Weird. That's actually very wise. Weird. 
It is. It is. But Death just is the super poor man's creepy. Doctor. Creepy. It is. Death. And here's a really creepy one. Yeah. My five-year-old son asked me, what do you see through the black circles in my eyes when you're controlling me when I'm at school? <laughs> Holy cow. Either that kid's like seriously misinformed or his parents are messed. Yeah. Okay. Here's one. Daddy, remember that time we died? Wow. <laughs> remember that time? What, what time are you talking about, which son? One, which one? <laughs> I, d- I don't remember that. Oh, okay. Here's a good one. They're, in a, they're in a swimming pool. Yeah. And he says, Daddy, sleep. And then he pushes my head underwater in the pool. Okay. Go to sleep. <laughs> Julie, you're, you're you're turning kind of dark. Here. It is. It's super dark. Some things kids say are just Whoa. You're evil. Uh-huh, exactly. Um, okay, so a lot of them at nighttime, they have a lot of nighttime fears and they yeah. see things and stuff. So we're going to do a couple of those. Me, go back to sleep. There isn't anything under your bed. My son, he's behind you now. <laughs> wow. See, because sometimes you think, like I've heard of people say, um, like, hey, I saw... I, I see people. No, but I I had somebody that had seen their uh, the, their mommy needed another baby. Oh yeah. Like mm-hmm. I I mom, I know you're supposed to have another baby. Mhm. Or I, I saw or, her. or or they or I'll do one later about how just they have this extra sense about that they they know something about an ancestor yeah. that they've never seen or you've never talked about. Grandpa was here last night. You're right. What? And he sang me that song that you were, or he was dressed in that shirt that you're like, yeah. whoa. So sometimes you wonder if these kids are really close to the veil, mm-hmm. they're close to heaven, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they pull out some line like, <laughs> like sleep, daddy. <laughs> Satan is after us. Isn't that scary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Okay, that's here's another okay. one. Okay. Here's another one because it's another creepy bedtime one. Okay. I was tucking in my two-year-old. He said, goodbye, dad. And I said, no, at night we say goodnight. And he said, I know, but this time it's goodbye. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> the dad said, I had to check on him a few times just to make sure yeah. he was still there. <laughs> Can't you see the dad? No, it's goodbye. Going downstairs and saying, your son is gr- is freaking me out. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, here's another, <laughs> at, here's another at night one. Yeah. Changing my daughter, um, while changing my daughter in front of the open closet door, she kept looking around. And laughing, I asked her what was so funny. She said, it's the man, (laughs) to which I replied, what man? She then pointed at the closet and said, the man with the snake neck. I turned around. Nothing was there. What? (laughs) The snake. Which makes – someone interpreted that meaning that it's somebody that hung themselves in the closet and they had a rope around their neck. Okay, Or they just have an Ichabod crane neck. (laughs) Yes. Oh, but he lost his head, didn't he? You're something. Ah. Whatever. Okay, see, this is getting everybody ready really, for Halloween. really, really, really creepy, right? But see, these could also just be reinterpreted that these are just cute little kids. With their imagination. And maybe they had like their robe, the belt from their robe around their neck. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, whatever. But I'm creeped out by some of these kids. Yeah. Um, here's a four-year-old son. He asked my pregnant sister if there was a, bel- a baby in her belly. She <laughs> said, Yes. With a completely straight face, he slid from his chair, headed for the kitchen, and said, We need to get it out. I'll go get the knife. 
Wow. Yeah. <laughs> See, they're just innocent, though. They're just innocent. They don't know. Yes. <laughs> it's just innocence, right? It's. Right. They mean no harm. Okay, so I've let's do let's take a break and come back. But I want to know your scariest thing one of your kids said to you. But that I'll tell you one that I told my mom. Okay, but mine wasn't scary, but it freaked her out. We'll get to that. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, get ready for Halloween. Hmm. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Now, we've been terrifying you about the many things, the scary things kids say. Because they just say the darndest things. And sometimes what they say is scary. Like when they come in and they're like, red rum, red rum. Which I didn't know what that meant until Jeff taught me. Jeff, what does red rum mean again? Uh, It's a drink. (laughs) It's actually... uh, But if you look at it in a mirror... uh Uh-huh. But you have to also assume that the letters in red rum were written backwards Mm -hmm. for it to appear correctly in the mirror as murder. So sometimes like when I wake my kids up in the morning, my teenagers will roll over and say, red rum. I don't know what they meant. I'm like, no, honey, no, it's just dad. We're not, we're not, we're not drinking red rum. Red rum. Um, okay, so here's the deal. Scariest thing that you told your parents that you had done that that you didn't dare tell them before, but you told them like as an adult. I don't think I've told them this yet. Well, I hope they're not listening. Groundbreaking news. Here we go. We're breaking news. This it's is not great. scary. It's just a terrible thing I did. What? And that, that teenage brain that's not fully formed yeah, yet. Right. Uh-huh. You know that one yeah, that yeah. you used to have? My girlfriend and I thought it would be really funny. <laughs> because we sat in the lunchroom and watched the teachers walk in and out of the lunchroom every day to go get their lunch. And we thought, wouldn't it be – oh, this is terrible. Oh, no. Wouldn't it be funny to like get some butter from the butter tray and smear it across the floor and watch them slip and fall? You did? <laughs> yes. You are not. So my friend and I took butter and it was like – so we made it clear so you couldn't see it. Yeah, And then yeah. we smeared it across that path that they walked on. Oh, my Did they gosh. turf it? Yes. And one of our favorite teachers came walking through and she had high heels on. We're like, oh, no, stop. We realized what we were getting ourselves into. Probably lawsuit, you know. You were a naughty child. It was terrible. I never would do that. Yes, terrible. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah, Yeah, I know. It was was bad. Jeffrey, do you have a story about something you had to tell your parents? Something Something that you had done that you were afraid to tell them, but you you came clean later in life, maybe. Oh, I would always come clean so much later in life to, you know, yeah. to where they wouldn't care anymore. Right. You know, right. Um, forged my mom's signature to be excused <laughs> because our cursive handwriting was very similar. And uh, homecoming dance, I was supposed to come home at midnight. That was my curfew. And I was supposed to wake my parents up when I got home. Yeah. So I went in, woke up my mom, said, I'm home. And then I just went back out. 
Are you kidding? But yeah, by the time I told them it was years later, they didn't care anymore. But you were a California boy. Oh, yeah. Always partying. That's crazy. Hey, my, what about you, Matt? My sister um, once went in, the, went in the school when she wasn't supposed to, like after school. She snuck in like it was at night and she got caught and they made her um, – I think this was the story. They made her take a note home and have my mom sign it. So my sister made her – she went up to my mom and said, Mom, I'm starting an autograph book. Can I – will you be my first autograph? Oh, and my mom could like care less like sure, whatever. She autographed it and that's how she got out of jail. Oh, kids are tricky. Tricky. OK. So here's the deal. When my mom was moving out of the house we grew up in and I was a latchkey kid. So I would stay home every day after school with my sisters. But then when they, when they were older, I was always home alone because they had moved out. So – um, we played a game. I'm sure you've played it. Uh, have you ever played baloney on the ceiling? No. <laughs> Super fun game. So we had a plastered ceiling. Nice. It was a nice, clean, flat plaster ceiling. And um, if you take a slice of baloney, and if you throw it up on the ceiling, it would stick. Okay. And then the goal was you'd have to lay underneath it, um, and if the goal, it would eventually fall. But if you could catch it on your face, then you have to eat the bologna without using your hands and you you win a point. You, you, your twisted mind is just killing me. Right. So we played bologna on the ceiling. But what was fun – by the way, that weird little side note, that's the same year I started having major acne breakouts. <laughs> bologna I don't, on your face. I don't know why. But we would throw it up on the ceiling. And so anyway, when we were moving out of my mom's house – we looked up on the ceiling and you could see perfectly round discs with like dust on them, dusty discs. And she's like, I wonder what that is. And you never told her. And I'm like, Mom, I got to come clean. <laughs> we used to play baloney. And I, and I wonder what else you ingested with all that stuff on the ceiling that you also oh, yeah. took because, in. Yeah, well, yeah, like the baloney. dog hair. Yeah, spiders. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Webs. Everything. <laughs> oh, gross. But oh, see, Matt. that's just oh, Matt. But we don't tell our parents these no. things because they'll freak out. Yeah. Okay. So any other scary stories? Oh, so many. My brother was sleepwalking, and my mom was trying to coax him back into bed when he said, "I would, but the devil is behind you." Wow, Dad, <laughs> is that you? Yes, get to bed, son. Oh, my little cousin drew a picture of a black monster. He looked at me and said, "He told me to draw this, and he's coming for you, so you better hide." Wow. <laughs> Here's one of these cool things, though. When my daughter was four, I heard her singing a song that my mom had always sang to me when I was young. I asked her where she learned it, and she told me that her grandma taught it to her. My mom passed away six years before my daughter was born. She's never heard the song. Holy cow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are – I guess some of this is just developmentally. These kids are trying to just make sense of things they've heard, things they've they've felt. Um, Jeff – who, by the way, loves horror films. Mm-hmm. Sixth Sense, did you like it? Well, I would have liked it a lot more had uh, Randy Smedley not ruined the ending before I saw it. Oh, man. Smedley. Anyway. Smedley. Um, so I was at an exhibit one time. It was in a kid area of the exhibit. And I went over to the ground. There's a piece of paper. And I always like to try to pick up pieces of trash and throw them away. Uh, I just wanted to let you know how good of a person I am. That's a very good person. Um, So I looked at the piece of paper, and in crayon was written, 
Be afraid, dark magic is coming. Wow. In kid, kid handwriting. Oh, man. See. Was it Halloween, Jeff? No. <laughs> it but, was like the middle of the year. But like what – honestly, what does black magic yeah. mean to a five-year-old? Right. Or this three-year-old daughter who said, you're the best mommy I've had so far. I said, I'm the only mommy you've had. And she walked away and said, yeah, that's what all the other mommies said too. <laughs> wow. <laughs> She's working. She's working her mom's insecurity. About oh, being a mother. Man. These are good. These, These are, are really good. Yeah. So, um, do you, are you just as a parent, are you one that you just give your kid a pillowcase and send them out to go yes, trick or treating? Yes. So low, I'm just so, so low maintenance. You don't like, do you go with them? Do you? When they were younger, yeah. How, how old do you set them free? From well, the, the ball af- and chain. Uh, sometimes they would like around, you know, eight or so, seven or eight, they would go with their friends. Yeah. And then um, oftentimes one parent would, would stand back and kind of, you know, chaperone the group. Right, but right. they kind of stand at a distance. Just give them some space. Yeah. Yeah. So about eight or nine, you think yeah. that's okay. Well, as long as there's someone out there chaperoning from a distance. See, again, back in our day, we were always worried that somebody would put a, a razor blade. Yeah. We had to inspect all the candy. But now I don't have that fear for my kids. Well, I do inspect it's all their wrapped. candy. It's all wrapped. Yeah. No one's cutting out apples anymore, yeah. you know. Thank heavens. Give us a couple more. Okay, here we go. Um, My three-year-old son generally has a happy-go-lucky attitude, so this was pretty odd. Sometimes when he's cuddling with his mommy, he'll say very seriously, Mom, I promise I won't ever chew on your bones. I promise. Oh, <laughs> here's one. Thank you, son. So much not chewing on my bones. A friend of mine's child told his daddy, "Daddy, I love you so much. I want to cut off your head and carry it around so I can see your face whenever I want." <laughs> Isn't that a sweet, endearing thing to say? <laughs> Honey, we've got to take the boy in. <laughs> he said another freaky thing. Julie, you're the best. Uh, Thanks for your work. Um, a spoonful of parenting dot com. Yes, and here, here's the freakiest thing of all. Yeah. Your 18-year-old son says, I don't want to leave home. I want to stay with you forever. Get out of this house right now. Creepiest thing they could possibly say. <laughs> Mom, don't make me leave. I want to live with you forever. Ha! <laughs> 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 ah! Thank you, Julie. You're the best. Go to the website, a spoonful of parenting.com for more insight, more information from the bomb mom. We'll take a break. When we be when we come back, we'll be talking with our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation about the Big Twelve announcement. And they've just been tricking everybody. Not interested in anybody. Ah, oh, the bait and switch. They pulled it on us again. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. We will now send it down to our good buddies at uh, BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem, and find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. Holler. Bane in the house. Bane in the house. Is is that your Halloween costume? Ooh, it should be, right? Bane. Hey, hey. uh, Give me some candy, please. (laughs) Hey, if Bane happened to pull up to a drive-in window... What would Bane order? Which restaurant? Uh, let's say Wendy's. 
Uh, Matthew, I would not go to Wendy's because I choose the healthy option like Neaters. <laughs> you love a good salad, don't you, Bane? All the French toast you can eat. <laughs> that is the best commercial for Neaters. What, and, and they say, what is the, what are you? <laughs> Hello? Is this Bane? <laughs> Oh. That's great. I would like a white roll, please. <laughs> yeah, like, what does Bane order? He orders, like, some, I'd like a salad with extra chicken. That'd be a funny bit, like, like Tom like, Hardy as Bane going through drive throughs You never think about, like, what do the supervillains eat? Right. right? Yeah. They've got to they eat. Go out. They're people, too. Yeah. yeah. What if it's just all tofu and healthy stuff? He ordered Chinese every time. Holy cow, you guys. Hey, I think he's like eating meat raw off the bone. He is, yeah. I'll have a leg of lamb. Uncooked, please. A leg of lamb. (laughs) Bane. Hey, does Bane, how does he eat? That's a great question. Does he just push it through like a meat grinder? Or he he plugs in like tubes into that thing. I don't know. (laughs) That's true. I think Christopher Nolan needs to give us that information. Yeah. I think I don't think I know he does. He's working on uh, Dunkirk, but I think Spencer needs to just do it. He Spencer start a blog, okay, as Bane. All the questions you wanted to know about Bane, but were afraid to ask. <laughs> we need to come up with a show name for this, <laughs> or like a blog name. That would be such a great segment on our show. <laughs> okay, just be thinking about it because we could just Bane's basics. <laughs> yeah. Food That's... banter with Bane on Bane's <laughs> Basics on BYU TV in April 2019. Is... Okay, seriously. Bane I... Basics. We are going to make that a, a, a TV cooking series with Bane. Right now, Jared Chores is like, no. Not going to happen. <laughs> Negative. Hey, guys, um, can I just uh, yeah. give you three words for the Big 12? Please do. Bait and switch. Yeah. Yep. They make me so mad. They make a lot of people angry. They've been teasing how many schools? 11. 19. Well, it was, it was a bunch, them? but like a, there were 11 finalists. <sighs> 68? Honestly. Outside the power five? Tom, I'm serious. That makes me mad. Bait and switch. Yeah, it's, it, uh, it's, certainly it's a debacle. Dis- it's certainly disappointing. Uh, because BYU thought they had a, a legitimate shot, uh, seemed to be extremely qualified, mm-hmm. and uh, I, don't, I don't know what's better. People are like, would you rather lose by one or by 40? I'm like, oh, I'd rather not lose. You know? Yeah, let's uh, not lose. Would you have rather two teams were invited but BYU wasn't invited? I think that would have been worse. Yeah. Well, and maybe this gives a chance for everything to kind of die down, BYU to find its footing. I don't know. That's the question. We'll, we'll address that today. What's next for BYU? Yeah. And in the next 10 years, what's going to happen with BYU? We'll, we'll give some scenarios of, okay – what if BYU wasn't independent? Then what? Mm. Mm. Yeah, we'll give you. We'll we'll give you what we think are realistic options. What? Um, by the way, what on earth is going to happen? We're having a Thursday night game, so this is the Thursday night ESPN big. Oh game. yeah, baby, at Boy State, ranked fourteenth, six and zero on the blue field. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's dangerous um, to have a blue field? Do you, do you think that it seems like you've heard of a green screen? Um, I'm staring at one. Yeah, you are staring at one in your studio. It just seems like it, there, there's a distinct advantage to the people that have, are used to playing on blue turf. 
a few years ago, uh, the Mountain West Conference made a rule that they couldn't go blue on blue on the blue. Oh, good point. So they, it, if I was a team that had green, I would just go green on green. On yeah, exactly. Green, right? Camouflage. Right. If Oregon did that, right? Right. At Eastern Washington, their field is red. They're an FCS team. Man. I believe it's Eastern Washington, Boise State, and that's it for non-green field. By the way, Boise State, uh, 6-0. and yeah, they're they're good now. Now here's something interesting. So they're ranked 14th of the country. They look like they're the Boise State of old, right? Right. Um, BYU's played a tougher schedule. Yeah, uh, BYU's four and three. They're three losses by a combined seven points. So it's hard to know the difference between the two. But there are two metrics that give us an idea. What? ESPN's Football Power Index okay. rates teams mathematically. Yeah. Accounts for everything, right? Right. Margin of victory, strength of schedule, and so on. Boise State is 30th in that. BYU is 36th. Ooh. There's another similar rating called Sagarin ratings. BYU is eight spots behind in that one. Huh. So I think that BYU is in the same league as Boise State. But on the road, on a Thursday night, yes. we'll see what kind of difference that makes. I think BYU will compete Thursday, and I think it's a fantastic uh, matchup for the Cougars. Plus, Cougars can eat Broncos. True. Louis mean- Lapuaho, one of the offensive linemen for Los Cougars. Mm-hmm. On his bio, it says his favorite food is horse meat. <laughs> really? This is not a joke. That's kind of... Unfortunately, he's hurt. Not going okay. to play. But it doesn't mean he can't run the barbecue. But it doesn't mean he can't spin the barbecue wheel. <laughs> That's weird. He said something so funny on the sideline uh, when I was watching the game on Friday night. What? Uh, about Taysom... No, about Jamal Williams. If you remember, Jamal had a run where he was stopped probably for like a five- or a six-yard loss yeah. down by the goal line. And then he went around the edge and like dived towards the goal line and got the ball down to the one-yard line. They right. did a review after and pushed it back like a half of a yard. Basically, he ran like 50 yards, and it was the most amazing half-yard run that we have seen in a while from a BYU running back. <laughs> <laughs> There's such a thing. Louis like... Man, they didn't have a button in Madden for what he just did. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be fun being on the sideline hearing all of the smack. It is. It is. And Louie's a huge personality. Like, he's a and fun a huge person. person. <laughs> yeah, he is a giant. He's like 6'6", six, six, He's a fun person to hang around. Is, is there more smack talk there or in your show meetings? I think it's debatable. That's yeah, pretty close. That's a good mm-hmm. question. Yeah. I, don't, I can't give you a firm answer right now. Okay. I had to well, think long and hard about that. I don't want to create pressure. But I'm going to go with your show meeting. <laughs> hey, what else are you guys talking about on the big show? Oh, well, there's the Big 12 dysfunction. Mm-hmm. There's the Boise State matchup. We'll look ahead to that with David Nixon. Jake Trotter, Big 12 insider, is going to join us and give us a, a fan perspective of from the Big 12. Like, what do Big 12 fans think about what is happening? Because we know what all the schools that wanted to get in are thinking. Right. But what about the 10 schools and their fans? Like, what's the atmosphere like right now in Big 12 country? Mm, that's, a, that's a cool idea. Plus, the Olympian Kate Hansen will join us between the lines. She's got uh, some insight into a rock dance that nobody wants to miss. And when I say rock, mm. I mean the Roar of Cougar student section. I mean the oh, rock. The rock. Dwayne Johnson. Standing room only rock. Right. Love it. Man. So a song that they sing in the rock. It's a dance. Oh, it's a dance that they do in The Rock. Yeah. Are you guys going to do the dance? We're not going to no. tell you that. No. I know you will. For ratings, I'm I know. I Kate does because during the 2014 Olympics, she was, she was caught multiple times on NBC dancing before. Yeah. Yes. So yes. much so that she actually communicated. Beyonce reached out and communicated with Kate. Really? This is not a joke. And uh, Barry, a.k.a. Barack, 
Obama, <laughs> uh, knew who she was when she went to the White House. After because the she's a dancer. And Kate Hansen works yeah. for us. Yeah. BYU TV, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. So, so, but, so that's coming up on the show today. You guys could probably know that then your ratings would go up if you would both dance more. Mm, Not that it needs down. to go up more. but we, it, Well, we did a focus group, and it didn't go well. Oh, it didn't? Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, at least you're testing it. Yeah. <laughs> we, we think ahead. That's We're smart. forward thinkers Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. Go by the numbers. Okay, We're not uh, forward doers. No, We're just, just thinkers. thinkers. Yeah, why yeah. do when you could think about doing? Mm-hmm. Well, guys, have a great show. I can Thank tell you. it'll be a killer one. Knock them dead. Sports. Sports out. Dance off. Cool. Hey, uh, a little – we will post it on my Twitter feed, at Dr. Matt Show. But there is a really funny article that came out in Business Insider about a haunted house that takes photos of people's reactions to being scared. Hmm. So as somebody that I really do not like haunted houses, don't like them, have no place in my life for a haunted house. However, the pictures from a haunted house, hilarious. That seems like people could use those photos as leverage. Mm-hmm. Like, look, you actually – this is, by the way, it comes from the Nightmares Fear Factory in Niagara Falls. If you go to the website, you can watch videos of everybody being scared. And um, it's it, – by the way, it's the perfect location for a haunted house because it's, the, it's a former coffin factory. Like mm-hmm. – <laughs> no, like a coffin. Oh, gotcha. Not okay. like, hey, you be coffin? Like a coffin where they make the boxes you put dead people in. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, it's, it's seen as one of the world's scariest haunted houses, and they put cameras inside. But you'll see pictures of, like, men pushing women in front of them. That – you can find out people's true natures when you put them in a haunted house. Totally. Uh, you'll, you'll also – there's pictures of guys with their eyes that could not be bigger. Like, terrified. Anyway, it's hilarious. So, you know, if you want some fun, go look at, at Dr. Matt Show. And uh, it's our Twitter feed. Now, to the hero story. This comes from Newser.com. A man in Florida is alive today after a group of strangers formed a human chain and helped police get him out of a burning vehicle. Police in Brevard County said the driver of the SUV hit another car on US-1 at about 11 a.m. on Sunday, then careened down an embankment where his vehicle caught fire. Uh, reports WESH. Witnesses of the and the police say the police were on the scene quickly, including bystander Tom Sace. They said the people and the police started to climb through and down uh, down a bank, and there was up in the air, hanging and strapped into his seat, hanging on the sideways, hanging sideways. He says, um, was this car? Dramatic video captures a woman yelling, "We need angels, Lord, help! Come get us!" You will not die, uh, people were screaming. Two officers and a by, two bystanders got out of the vehicle but then struggled to make it up the embankment. After a cry of make a chain, people linked arms and pulled the man to safety. The driver was hospitalized with minor injuries and will undergo psychological evaluation because police say he was actually uh, fighting against being rescued. Might be, by the way, a sign of a head injury. And uh, if it weren't for all the bystanders that helped out, our officer said it would have been a very, very bad situation. So congratulations to everybody in Florida that joined in and saved a man together. That's what it takes, folks. Just a few heroes to make it through the day. And let's be a hero to one another. You don't need to always be so brave to be a hero. Sometimes you just need to care. 
And on the show, that's what we're trying to promote is more caring and to help you see the good in the world. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more information for you to live longer and love stronger. Until then, check out the MattTownsendShow.com site. Great stuff. We'll be back tomorrow. Take care.